Mr. Mystery Guest. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Unless you want to open a front door for me. Uh, no, I'm afraid not. But you have me at a loss. You know my name, but who are you? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Another orphan of a bankrupt culture who thinks he's John Wayne, Rambo, Marshall Dillon. I was always kind of partial to Roy Rogers, actually. I really like those sequined shirts. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I'm Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio, and this is episode 7, a number typically reserved for luck. And it's our lucky day for undisclosed reasons, but it's Wednesday, February 17th, 2017. Schadenfreude. That's all I'm going to say about that. Sinking. It's also a lucky day because JP is here. He is. Hello. Yay. And for those of, uh, those of you concerned about, you know, gathering of people together... JP already had coronavirus a couple months ago, so by CDC recommendations, he's fine. Well, it's connect. We record. Is it okay if we say you have COVID? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Not currently. You, you currently know. have COVID. Um, we're just yeah. we're going all out there. Well, you know what? We're connecting. Farming a test. The the infection rate has dropped to one point five eight. I mean, don't look at the the infection rate. Is what good. matters. It, like it what is matters. Kind of what matters though. I think what matters. Well, that's just. But if you're testing a ton, I mean, I guess so. But how many was the overall case rate today? The overall case rate was five hundred thirty-four over. Oh yeah, it's, that's not bad. That's pretty good. There you go. Speaking of not, oh, hopefully not bad, pretty good. Do you, is there any news you want to talk? Oh, no, we'll do beer first. Um, we're keeping it weird, guys. Um, you know, we're we're marching towards number one. I got a I got a classic bre- uh, brewery here, um, Kent Falls. Oh. Out of Kent Falls, Connecticut. It is called Bismoke. Smoked Spelt Lager. Oh, you think this is going to be weird? I think it's going to be fun. What's, a, what's Smoked Spelt? I've had it before. I've had this type of, not this type of, not this beer, but I've had this type of beer before. And it's, um, if it's like the other ones I've had, it's got like a, that smoky flavor of jerky. But not the meat flavor of jerky. This is custom-smoked Connecticut-grown spelt provided by our good friends from Hindsight Barbecue and... At the corner in Litchfield, Connecticut. I think I think the corner may be a restaurant as well. Are you gonna make a reservation? Well, I'm looking up what it is. <clears throat> oh, it's actually called At the Corner. It's a brick-walled eatery offering new American dishes, supported by occasional live music. I love What's when it a says brick-walled eatery. Oh, it's a it's an eatery that has a brick wall. But would their food taste different if it was an eatery with a <laughs> non brick wall? I mean, hipsters. There... But hipsters like brick walls. I fucking hate hipsters. Hmm, it doesn't have as much of a smoked f- smell as I'd expect. Tastes kind of like a band aid. I can. I don't know. I don't know what a band aid <laughs> tastes like. 
It's got no. I, I taste like a lager in the front, and it finishes with like a hickory. It's 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 a less aggressive smoked lager than I've had before. A little appley. Well, uh, maybe maybe an apple maybe applewood not hickory. Maybe it's definitely like a it's got like a barbecueish finish. Yeah, there's something going on. It's actually not bad. No, I enjoy it. It's it's front is that band aid taste is. I don't know what that means. You ever open up like open up a band aid like an old school or not an old school band aid one of those kind of rubbery band aids that are made to kind of withstand yeah, 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 yeah. water and you open it up and you get this hint of like rubber. There's like a rubbery flavor. Oh, I don't. I don't taste that. I mean, rubber is made from trees, so. Right? Is it? No, plants, I think. Rubber plant? I thought it was a tree. Rubber tree. Yeah. Maybe you're right. No. <laughs> I'm just saying, maybe it's not so b- weird that something smoked has like a rubbery taste. Uh, not terrible, though. God, all right. Rubbery taste. Bounce back. Bouncing. You bounce back after a vacation, after the stores. Oh, do you know it's a good way to be rubbery? No. Tom, it's to bounce back after your long time loved workplace is closing. Mm. You bounce back by going on vacation, maybe the Florida. Oh. In Barb and Star, go to Vista Del Mar. What are you doing? Oh, I was just playing with this lamp. Oh. <laughs> I'm Star. Short for Starbra. Assume yours is Barbara. Nope. Just Barb. <laughs> Plain old Barb. I want to thank Barb and Star for hosting tonight's talking club. And for making their hot dog soup. I like the salt. I like the hot dog. It's not as runny as it usually is. Ah, what is she drawing? I hope she gives me bigger teeth. Love big teeth. She loves big teeth. Even if it's just two eyes on a bunch of tea. Look, my new phone case. (laughs) I love it! It's like I'm listening to the ocean. Wait, we don't have cell phones. I know I'm going to take it home and glue it to our landline. I'm Barb, and this is Star. Roll number again, please, sir. 611. 611? Oh, my... Barb! So Star and Barb are longtime friends working at a furniture store. Jennifer Convertibles. Is it Jennifer Convertibles? Okay. Um, why did that not strike me? I mean, it's, maybe Jennifer Convertibles wasn't a thing out west, and that's why I didn't oh, that's, think about well, it. Well, Nebraska's it's the Midwest. You think it stops in Nebraska? I don't know. That's the end of the Jennifer. I definitely heard of Jennifer Convertibles before. We had before. Jennifer Convertibles yeah. here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, their store is closing. Uh, they're a little sad about that, so they decide to go on vacation to florida and they go to florida and they think they're going to go to a nice luxury resort but they accidentally reserved a thing in the motel but that's fine because instantaneously that problem is resolved that was five minutes of a movie that we had um and while they're there they meet uh you know christian gray jamie dorian playing (laughs) edgar uh who after a night of hard drinking and my heart will go on and a techno disco beat uh, sleeps with them, and then slowly they two of them, Star and Barb, start flirting with him, and you know he starts falling for Star because she looks a lot like his boss. 
Mm, his, uh-huh. his boss, what was it? Mrs. Lady is what I remember. Yeah, it yeah. says Sharon Gort. I don't even remember her real name being in this. Did they say her name ever? I think when she's younger. Um, oh, yeah, but yeah. she's a James Bond s villain who who hopes to unleash a swarm of insects on the people at this resort because they slighted her when she was a young girl. They shot her out of a cannon. Um, and she's going to infect them all and kill everybody. And uh, Edgar is there to kind of, you know, set that all into courts to, to kind of like set the transmitter so the marks can get there. But because he's in love with Mrs. Lady and he hopes that if Miss Lady, if he hopes that this happens, then they'll be together. But he soon falls for Star. Um, you know, hijinks ensue. Eventually Star and Barb find out that they've been like going behind each other's back. And what not. Barb is doing all the things she said she was going to do with Star. And Star's banging Jamie Dorian. And <laughs> all that sort of good stuff. And they have a little tiff. But then they resolve it. Uh, to come together against the, the villain. And uh, they defeat the villain. And you think the villain's dead. But then the villain's fine. And then there's like a dance number. And everyone's happy. And the end. Um, This harkens back to me to like Romeo and Michelle's like high school reunion style comedies those inoffensive 1990s comedies that like are very that are a great time like I had an amazingly great time with this um there was there was several scenes I rewound like when Yo-Yo is there and then all of a sudden shoots off the confetti gun Mm. um where I'm just like oh that's great because it's 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 a completely inoffensive comedy but you will absolutely forget it the minute after you watch it that's why i'm struggling with doing the plot description one i was drinking two one well, plot doesn't really play <laughs> yeah, a big two wikipedia doesn't offer me much but plot doesn't offer much uh this is just a run of jokes and it's a lot of jokes and some of them land some of them don't but uh it's it's a good time it's a fun time for me yeah i didn't have such a good time although i don't hate it um, I suppose I don't feel bad. I don't. Um, I don't have. I don't harbor ill will towards this movie. I think it's. Um, I like Kristen Wiig. Um, I think she's kind of earned uh, the right to kind of make a super weird movie about going on vacation with a woman named Barb if she wants to. Um, but I didn't really. I, the two times I really laughed. So I said in the text message, I didn't laugh once. I remembered the two times that I laughed were when they go to that first hotel and they walk in and there's that picture of the shark, the painting of the shark with like the blood in front of its face. And I was like, that's funny. That reminded me of the, those Royal Tenenbaums paintings. And then um, the I Love Boobies song. <laughs> that the, that the good old Richard Cheese that he's playing. Uh, I love the. That's a good song. Richard Cheese playing a lounge singer who's obsessed with boobs and not you know doing. Lounge yeah. versions of pop songs. There was, I mean, so that was funny. Popular rock songs, I should say. I think uh, inoffensive is is totally the right word. Um, I think if you like the type of humor, if you like Kristen Wiig's Target Lady, I forgot that character's name. Yeah, but the just Target tar- Lady is is like it's edgier. Great. It's edgier and, and a little grating at times. Um, more, it's weird because you had mentioned like this is like a really long SNL skit. I think sometimes the SNL skits that she's Kristen wigging all over the place on oftentimes have a lot more to offer like as a premise than this movie does, um, which I think is is problematic. Like I don't like some of the early stuff. I think they are trying to set the tone, and it's weird because they're also not setting the tone because the movie gets weirder. 
But, like, a little weirder, not, like, a ton weirder. Like, I don't know why everyone's freaking out about, like, Damon Wayans Jr.'s part in this. It's just... He's there. It's just yeah. it's typical, like, you know, oh, can you not remember that? You know, the next time you say it's private, private person, you're like, okay, that's, why is that funny? Like, it's 2021. Like, do something else. No, I agree. And the, those, all the Damon Wayans stuff, like, fell really flat for me. I loved Annie Mamillo. Mamillo? Yeah. In this... Like, I think she actually, like, everyone talks about, like, Jamie Dornan in this, and I think he's good. But that song is not even really all that funny. And no, it's, it's like, not. Oh, Jamie Dornan is singing. It's like, why do I care? Well, it's just because, I don't know, maybe the Fifty Shades overcast, but I remember him from, oh, God, that serial killer show with Gillian Anderson from BBC or maybe Channel 4. Mm. Um, you know what I'm talking I mean, I'm I not sure. about? I'm not going to look at the name of it. it. Yeah, yeah. But, like, everyone's like, oh, he can actually act. And it's like, yeah, no shit, the guy can act. <laughs> Like, you don't get, like, a lot of these people don't randomly get cast in garbage, you know, uh, franchises because they can't act. Right. I just... Except for Dakota Johnson. Dakota Johnson's a different kind of thing. Um, She's fine. I like Dakota Johnson. I like seeing her and stuff. I just think sometimes she's not... um, up to the up to the, yeah, she's to just the like, movie. I don't know. It's she's weird, but I, I, I She's like a Kate Hudson. I really liked her in Suspiria and then I disliked her in other stuff. Doesn't matter. I think the I think the, the stereotypical part in this movie for me where there I forget what the scene is before, but then they cut it's right before the Damon Wayne scene, they cut to Jamie Dorden reading that book. That's like how to know if somebody loves you even. See, I, I found those parts funny. But it is just like, oh, I get it now. It's like, why did you do that? Yeah, no, you know that's I mean? because like it's not a joke, and it's not it's not zany. It's not it's it's amusing. Like it made my my heart go like. Uh-huh. I think I think the callback on that joke is nice. I think the way it's set up, it's like, uh, but then it call when I do the callback later, um, it has like a real Zucker Abram Zucker quality to it. So it's not like as good, under, obviously. It's just, everything's so understated for so long here, and the stuff that's overstated is not, like, killing it. Like, if I have to hear one more person talk about how funny the crab scene is, I'm gonna fucking lose my mind. Yeah, a crab scene was... I don't... Uh, come on! I like, the Andy, I like the Andy Garcia yeah. cameo. That was good. But, like, what movies... And, JP, maybe you can chime in on this, too. Everyone's talking about how weird this movie is. This movie's no. not that weird. Like, I've seen some weird movies. It's just zany. It's, I think, uh, and the crab, the first crab scene doesn't work. But once again, like, callbacks. I think the callbacks in this mm. work for me. Work really well for me. Like, the Morgan Freeman thing, I'm like, this is kind of stupid. Um, it feels more like a, a Friedberg Seltzer or whatever joke. The um, date movie mm. guys. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but then when they do kind of, like, the really quick callback to it, I'm like... Okay, like that's fine. I, I think, I think this movie has a decent pulse on. If something's not going to work, they're going to try to find a way to make something. They're 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 throwing so many things at the wall yeah, yeah, that yeah. for me, some things are going to work. Yeah, and again, you know, good on them wasn't wasn't. Yeah, it's not like a twenty. It's not a twenty dollar movie. Um, did you pay twenty dollars for it? I did. <gasps> Listen. I was I, 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 I stayed I stayed in I stayed inside all weekend. Uh, I had I ate it I watched it while eating Archie Moore's buffalo chicken nachos and so also much. had some chicken wings afterwards. <laughs> I know I'm gonna know that you have a problem if you were just like I stayed home and I got a munchies and I dipped it into Archie Moore's buffalo wings chicken nachos and just 
Oh, I got a munchie sub, I got the buffalo chicken nachos, and then I combined them into one delicious, huge 15-pound sandwich. Do you actually want to know the bad thing? <laughs> what? I'm not, this is not a joke. I got our, uh, munchies earlier in the day. I was just having... It was Valentine's Day weekend, Listen, and I was already having other bad stuff go on. It's, I, I think this is it. This, if you're having a bad day, and I was having a bad day, it's a real good film for a mm. bad day. Because nothing in this mo- there's no stakes. Nothing. Not even the villain dies. Nothing bad happens in the end of this film. Especially when you're in a delicious food coma. Yeah. Like, you can't, I mean, you could watch anything. Delicious food and face hugger. Mm. I had a six pack of face hugger. Not the entire six pack. I only had three of them, but just <laughs> no. Okay, somebody's concerned about me. Oh, oh, oh! I got a good transition. I got a good transition. If you're concerned about having too many of of one thing, you might find this next movie a little uh, a little interesting. Oh, interesting! That was your transition. My transition would have been like, oh, it's Valentine's Day weekend, and I was sad and alone. But sometimes, it's good not to be in too big of a group. Ooh, ooh, both good. You can, uh, Vert- we'll, 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 throw this, we'll throw this on our Twitter. Well, JP can also. Vert- JP? But we'll throw it on our Twitter. Our Twitter, we'll do a Twitter poll. Who had the better transition? I'm going to be honest with you, you, you and me are going to answer that ourselves. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, oh, what movie are you talking Armand about? And Armand White. And Armand White, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, he's getting weird. He's he's just so pro Trump now. Half of his posts are just like I love Trump. I mean, I, I knew he loved mustard. Trump. Mustard. I'm tasting mustard in this beer mm. now, which is good. I like mustard. Yeah. But uh, who won? Who won the? Who won this? Who had the better transition? I think yours was more thought out. To give you credit, you while you were doing the transition, I was thinking of my. That's true. That's so. true. That's true. So it's a good, it's a good team. Good team. Um, uh, and one way to transition. Is uh, from one sexual partner and the move over in the bed to a different sexual partner because, as you know, there is no I in threesome. I now have a girlfriend as well as a fiance. You got a fiance, you don't need a girlfriend. You like her? I like her. Okay. Just don't go see her all the time. Jealousy is just this thing you, you know, we talked about it. I'll be right back. Hi. What do you do? We just have to have as much fun as they do. It's a competition. You told me you love me. What do you say? You have secrets? I've never done this before. I want to stop. If it wasn't for this film, would you leave me? Ollie and Zoe are about to be married. They're engaged. They're also world-class divers. Because One they, of them is... they go up to the top of that diving board and they're like, we're going to jump off of it. It's very scary. I maybe remember back to when I went to a high ju- diving board and I jumped off and they're so scared. And I was like, I remember when I was a little kid, I jumped from that like same height. Not a little kid. I was like 14. And I was like, I find it scary. They're fucking pussies. Cowards. Couldn't do it. End of the movie. Uh, they're about to be married, uh, but Ollie hasn't had a lot of experiences, and so they have a nice little discussion 
uh, about maybe we should have a, an open relationship before you know we settle down with each other. And you know, like they try it out, they see how things go. They have their experiences and their. This is a documentary, by the way, so it's, they're documenting their kind of experiences. And uh, um, as they do, Ollie kind of gets involved with a woman long term. I don't remember her name. Siobhan. Siobhan. Um, and he's with Siobhan and Zoe and whatnot. Uh, and then, uh, you know, then Zoe. Well, Zoe fun. gets involved with Tom first. Right. And Siobhan is almost a reaction to, to Tom. I guess that's, I guess that's I important. I am Tom. So, uh, so just, <laughs> you know, just kidding. Know. Um, and... Yeah, so Zoe finds uh, dates Tom, and then this, I watched this also immediately after Star Star and Barb too. So the slightly buzz train was still rolling, and I was now eating chicken wings during this. <laughs> um, and you know, Ollie starts feeling a little awkward about the relationship forming between Zoe and Tom, and eventually it leads down to the path that Zoe. Um, Breaks up with Tom. Or breaks up with Ollie. Yeah. She does uh, not break up with Tom. Yeah. She does not. Because she says, I fell in love with somebody else, which is Tom. And uh, they are now partners. And that is when we find out that the Zoe we've been following is actually Natalie Med- Medlock, an actress that Ollie's hired to kind of recreate um, this experience. So we haven't really been watching... I mean, I'm going to put this in documentary at the end of the year if I if it gets nominated. But it's a good thing. I'm watching documentaries starting in February now. Remember how last year I was just like, I can't. I watched, don't watch any documentaries. And by last year, I mean like three weeks ago. Where I watched like 12 documentaries in two weeks. Um, he's, he recreated it with Natalie. Uh, and we find out that Ollie's kind of a piece of shit. <laughs> I, I think he is. Personally, no, he definitely is, but okay. it's one of those. It's not the major. Um, oh, continue. For me, well, I don't know. That's why I don't know. Well, it's. Are you done? Uh, yeah, but wanna, anyways, but anyways, like... re- it's, it's all a recreation. It's kind of Ollie's way of. I don't know, sort of getting through the experience, even though he was the one who pushed for it in the first time. Um, my quick reaction is I loved it. Probably because I also watched it on Valentine's Day weekend. I was like, that guy deserves to be alone. And it was a little cathartic for me Hmm. in a dark way. Um, I also love twists in documentaries where it's revealed to be not a documentary. Uh, This is like the entire level going back to like Imposter. Um, Which, you know, Imposter is for me one of the all-time kind of great documentaries. Or Waltz with Bashir. Um where it's not so much a documentary. It's a, it's a drama based on a documentary, but I classify it still as a documentary. Um, yeah. What was the documentary from last year? We had um, the bar one. Oh, uh, Bloody uh, bloody Nose and Empty Pockets? Yeah, Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets. Like, me and you had a discussion. Like, it didn't end up anywhere with anything. Um, but I considered it a documentary because... Uh, the fact that it was yeah. kind of just unedited, raw reactions. They kind of gave a couple situations, but the people were just doing that was a weird one. Their life. Um, that 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 is definitely on the line. But I have always appreciated documentary where it's it blurs the line of documentary and reality. On it's a, maybe a retelling of real events. Um, 
I don't know. Once again, it was like, like Star and Barb. I needed Star and Barb on that night. And uh, then following it up with There Is No I in Threesome. I don't know why I watched There Is No I in Threesome, but it was like a documentary about sex. Let's do it. Um, but I think the problem is that it's not a documentary about sex. And I think that's where um, there's yeah. many... Well, I think he would like you to think it's a documentary about sex. Absolutely. And the movie plays as a documentary about sex because literally all these people do is have sex. Um, which is the, which is one of the... I mean, this movie has a bunch of um, structural premise flaws. But one of them is the idea that we're meant to take this couple uh, seriously as a couple... And, and mourn along with Ollie the fact that this uh, relationship is ending when the relationship is horseshit to begin with. Oh, absolutely. I mean, so Ollie is just a loser and Zoe's a loser and they're all losers. Who cares? I mean, if this is what they think is a good relationship and a foundation for like a marriage, not even taking the open like relationship into account at all. <laughs> like, they could still have an open relationship. It's the bargaining and, aspect of it. Well, that's just... They just he justifies it however he wants to justify it, and none of his justifications are worth anything. But I think from a, a a structural level, if you're trying to show us a relationship, you need to show us a relationship. You know what's weird about this movie? Nobody fucking eats anything in this movie. So it's a whole movie where they apparently, yeah, well, yeah, Ali eats a lot of cock at the end of the movie, but that's a different conversation. Um, they're they're like, oh, we left the cameras on all the time. The cameras are on all the time. We're literally naked half of the time we see them. Why? Because he's making, he's, Ali as the director is making choices. I think the problem that I'm running up to with this movie, especially in regards to kind of what you see as Ali as the, the piece of shit, Ali, this happened in 2015. He had five years. He was making this movie essentially for, he was thinking about this movie for five years. He, at some point, made a choice not to show. Ollie being a piece of shit. He made the choice to show Ollie being the victim, which he justifies at the end of the movie saying, like, this is how I framed the thing, which is fine. But he framed it that way in his mind, and then he made a movie about it, and then he showed really quickly for, like, 30 seconds at the end of the movie, oh, yeah, it was really me. And I can't, I can't fall down right. End of the movie. There's no, like, so he keeps saying it's about vulnerability. There's literally no vulnerability. Oh, here. no, I, he I agree. He skews all culpability, all vulnerability, and he decides to do the modern movie ending thing, which is just kind of be like, oh, here's a movie I made, and then there's a twist. And then, and now it's, and now it's like really profound and stuff like that. Do you know what I actually really, though, loved about this movie? And the, the moment that made me love it, like, go from like, oh, I like that twist. And, and this is something like, I don't know. I already kind of like penciled something in for. I mean, it's obviously February and whatnot, but I'm still in the awards. I'm still like appreciating writing up awards right now. Um, for me, this is all like a Natalie Medlock thing. I think she's really like how she's playing this Zoe character. Like, there is a certain way she's expressing herself and presenting herself, but it's everything that Ollie's trying to do is undone when they're sitting like on that kind of like bed watching it back, and then she says completely like herself now you're a piece of shit but that's but my problem with that is i don't have any i have no reason to trust the veracity of that moment that's true why are they watching it in the place where they're filming it why are they watching it projected onto the side but i think he's trying to like go like oh you know like i had some bad things but the way in which she says it but how do we know he didn't tell her to say it he could have right but the fact that works maybe against him 
is the fact that like she's acting no longer like this character she's been doing for the rest of the thing. Maybe. I don't know. For me, it works really well because it works maybe really well despite his intention. Yeah. Because of the fact that I'm like, hmm, she's in this entire time been this Zoe character. And the one time you kind of see that veil or see like what is presented has Natalie come through, which is just, you know, Ollie Lux trying to say like, oh, it's an actress, makes me go like, oh, no, everything you presented. I mean, if you're a piece of shit, it's hard to hide the fact that you're a piece of shit. And you have all the control and and all the control. But if all if he has all the control, then why does this film end up making you go, "This guy fucking sucks"? I don't think he sucks because of the mo- the end of the movie. I thought he sucked at the beginning of the movie. Oh, I did too. I think he sucks the whole way through, even when he's being a victim. I still think he sucks. I do I think too. They all suck. like like I I I agree, but I think his attempt is to present it as like, "Oh yeah, I had my problems." And whatnot, but, but like ultimately, everyone's kind of to blame, but everyone's not to blame, and it's just a life situation. But then, in that scene, and it's probably the fact that you know he's probably not good at movies. Is the fact he's not good at movies is the fact that like he shows that scene, and then like that makes me go like, oh no, you're trying to manipulate everything. Obviously, it's, it's the way it's been presented, and I I love I just have a really weird soft spot for that kind of documentary docudrama documentary. And it makes me go like, look back at everything and go like, yeah, why, 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 why should this woman, whatever, if she sucked or not, have like forced herself to be with this dude? And and that's why I liked about it. I liked the fact that like, despite this daily tried to put up, just like thirty seconds, yeah, undid see, all of it. But but here's the thing. So and I made a list here of movies that I mean, all of these movies are one hundred percent better than this movie. But they all do the exact same thing. Turner and Hooch. Yeah, Turner and Hooch. No, the making of Turner and Hooch, directed by Warner Herzog. <laughs> Called Burden of Dreams 2. He follows the, which, the, the which whole is interesting series of Turner and Hooch around. Because the entire time he's doing that, he's just he just says, and here's James Jim Belushi. And it's like, does he know he's talking about canine? Pull this boat over this mountain, Jim Belushi. Yeah, does he know he's talking about, he's not talking about Turner and Hooch? So there's, I mean. Which one's the dog dying? Oh, I don't know. It's canine, I think, right? Turner and Hooch, I think the dog survives, canine dog I dies. Know. I don't think I ever saw a canine. Uh, Yan, Lu- uh, Yan Oliver Lux is clearly in love with Ross McElwee. He's clearly seen and absorbed Sherman's March like, you know, I, I don't know, like it's, his, like it's his heir or something like that. And he, unfortunately, is not Ross McElwee, and he did not make Sherman's March, which tends to, which tries to deal the with... The dog him. dies in Turner and Hooch. Oh, okay. I haven't seen Turner Hooch in a while either. Maybe we should do a bonus Turner Hooch episode. Just Maybe dog. we should do a bonus no. Jim Belushi episode. Ready? No, Turner and Hooch is uh, Tom Hanks. Turner and Hooch, mm. K9, Top Dog, trio of dog cop movies. And then Airbud, just because it's Airbud. Um, to go with it, Sherman's March is very obvious. It's about relationships. It's about his own relationship. It's about his relationship towards women, about his, like not being able to make it work. But it's also about making a movie. It's about trying to make a movie and then failing at making that movie because he is a failure at being in relationships. About uh, as a filmmaker, as as a lot of other stuff, he is actively. I've never on seen sp- that, but you think I'd like this? Uh, I mean, Sherman's March is a fucking classic. It's it's tough. It's awesome. But it's. I mean, I don't. Oh, I, I like. I tough. never. Right. 
But it's also, yeah, so it doesn't matter. Um, he's confronting that on screen actively, his, his failures, his various failures as a person. You go back to like something like this year, like Dick Johnson is dead, where Kirsten Johnson is clearly manipulating everything, but it's for a reason. Same thing with something like Sarah Pauly's Stories We Tell. These are classic filmmakers, and they're classic films, but they're all doing the same thing. They're manipulating the film to serve a narrative purpose. So it has, the manipulation has like an extensive narrative value. I also go back to something, did you remember The Act of Killing? Did you like The Act of Killing? The but Joshua Oppenheimer movie? I didn't love it. So, but The Act of Killing I think is really good. In this. I just do, but I just didn't it's, connect with but it. But I think it's with, in relationship to this, where it's like, we're going to take a thing and we're going to re, we're going to re, we're going to take a thing and we're going to kind of remake that thing. I mean, it's from the, the point of view of someone who's like a genocidal murderer um and that guy's view of his own self is so fucked up that it's you know these he sees the things that he did to these indonesian people as like genre films but the point of all that stuff is that if you're gonna go back and you're gonna kind of manipulate reality like this in this way well i have two things if you're gonna go back and manipulate reality in this way the manipulation has to have a point and the manipulation in this movie has no point because of all those things that I said about he could have he could have chose to do my other point, which is a much more interesting movie is the five years between like him breaking up with that woman and then whenever this movie got finished. Like him his, his see, making of I the film. I wanna see that I, stuff. Uh, I don't yeah, I agree. fucking give a shit about any of this stuff. I hope I mean this guy sucks, and his decision to make this movie, like, is, is, he just made it wrong. I don't think it's a bad, so he keeps talking about, like, all these social, oh, we want, like, to show society, like, different versions of alternate whatever. There's no different versions of anything. There's no alternatives to monogamy. There is one alternative to monogamy portrayed in this relationship, and this is, you get a girlfriend, I get a boyfriend, we pretend we're going to tamp our jealous feelings down, even though we clearly are being terrible at that, and then, and then just hope for the best. That's not an alternative to monogamy. That is, uh, that is like setting up a five-year breakdown period where you're just like, every decision I made for the last three years was the wrong decision. I want to see a movie about the five years that he realized every decision he made was the wrong decision. I don't care about this other stuff. No, I, I agree. Um, and maybe it's because I, I don't have the uh, plethora, not plethora, you know what I mean, the, the, the film background in terms of like the documentaries doing the same thing. Um, yeah, but overall, your, your conceit is, is I, I would agree with. You pronounce that weird. Cut, weird? Conceit. I did pronounce that word, didn't I? I thought you were like trying, to, you like, trying to say something else in there. No, but the, the conceit of what you're saying is, is right. Um, I like Natalie Medlock in it a lot. I thought she was good, too. That's what I thought you were trying to yeah, say. Yeah, I know. I, I, I know. <laughs> and I was just like, whoa, Mario. But anyways. Take it easy. Fandar Prime Video Channel has Sherman's March, and I just subscribed to it for a seven-day trial, so I'll be able to watch that. Do this it. Week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's old. It's from the 80s. Yeah, 86. But it's, it's up to two and a half hours. 
Chariots of the Gods is on here. I've never seen Chariots of the Gods. Yeah, I've never heard of Sherman's March. It's like it's like a classic documentary. It's part of like the li- it got um chosen by the Library of Congress as representative of like a certain kind of artistic achievement. And I don't know if the Library of Congress is good at determining what's good art and bad art, but um they, they, like it's clearly they don't do it, a bad job with it. It clearly represents something very specific in the the American film canon. So Oh, um, Marwin Call's on here, too. And I've never seen... I've wanted to see Marwin Call. Welcome to Marwin? No, Marwin Call. Oh. The, um... Not the Robert No, it, no the, the, it is... But it is... Marwin Call's a documentary based on Welcome to Mar- Marwin. Oh. Um, I don't know how to transition into this one, Mario. This is not a documentary, either. This is, I suppose, also a retelling of reality in some, in some different ways. But, um, you know... Uh... It's it's not a documentary at all. It's complete. You know, uh, it's a film. It's a it's a narrative film. Um, I'm doing a bad transition. Mario wins this transition just by not trying to do a, tra- a transition here. Um, so our next movie is like the big release of the week. Um, it's HBO Max's second or third streaming release. Second third st- third streaming release. Wonder but, Woman. Uh, little things. Little things in this. Um, but this is the big one. This is like the prestige one. Um, this is the one that was, you know, this is the Oscar contender, hopefully. Um, it is a Judas and the Black Messiah. Looking at 18 months for the stolen car, five years for impersonating a federal officer, or you can go home. The Black Badges are forming a rainbow coalition of oppressed brothers and sisters of every color. Their aim is to sow hatred and inspire terror. I will learn all that I can. I These ain't no terrorists. You can murder a liberator, but you can't murder liberation. You can murder a revolutionary, but you can't murder revolution. And you can murder a freedom fighter, but you can't murder freedom. See, my transition would have been, do you, I mean, you know, Ollie might not be a director, but you know who is? Shaka King. King. Shaka King is, is a, a fucking director, man. Um, that's, I think that's an okay transition. That's good. That's good. Um, Judas and the Black Messiah is the uh, story of um, the death of Fred Hampton um, and his uh, betrayal, I guess, in a way. No, betrayal is right. Um, at the hands of uh, Bill O'Neill, it's uh, hard to say betrayal given Bill O'Neill's age. At well, the time. and I just and I just the way that it's portrayed in the film, like I, I it's it's a betrayal. He's but it's Bill O'Neill's also film, a victim, but it yeah. also doesn't seem like a betrayal in real life. You know, what I mean, it's it's weird. It's, yeah. I th- and I suppose the the fact that the movie brings up all these questions is is indicative of how good a film it is. Uh, Fred Hampton is played by Daniel Kaluuya. Fred Hampton is the leader of the Black Panther Party in Chicago. Uh, Bill O'Neill is played by Lakeith Stanfield, uh, who is just a petty car thief, uh, and he gets nabbed and kind of uh, kind of 
brought into the fold as an FBI informant by Roy Mitchell, played by Jesse Plemons. Let's not talk about Martin Sheen's turn as uh, yeah. Herbert One, one thing to say, though, is, is, is Bill O'Neill's presented as to be an intelligent man early on yeah, yeah, yeah. by his choice to as a car thief to impersonate a federal officer instead of and he has using, a, yeah. and, he, and he has a kind of deep uh, understanding of, of uh, his specific cultures uh, like fears and mm-hmm. values and stuff like that and he you know he's able to milk that um, uh, really the the kind of the film kind of takes place over the course of a couple of maybe like a year right? As I would assume, a year, it's hard to tell because he goes to prison, but you don't necessarily. He's supposed to go for two to five. He goes for less than a year. Do we did that? I I try to look. I haven't read any of the Fred Hampton books just because of the fact that the history of that so fucking like garbage. Mm -hmm. Um, Like Fred Hampton Jr. had to be on set for this movie just because of how shit the the history is of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I couldn't find out if that that. I mean, I assume it must have. He must have gone to jail i think he did yeah okay because i couldn't find anything about him actually having gone to jail well i think and that's kind of part of the whole thing is that there's this really elaborate conspiracy. just the timing was weird because he goes to ucla like two months before right yeah i think so um, i think they cut some of that yeah I just, I just didn't know like so i couldn't really figure out the timing not that it matters but right and i guess the only uh, I, I guess it matters in the terms of the narrative in the sense that the the film makes it seem like there's this really and there probably was there an elaborate lengthy conspiracy uh, perpetrated by federal agents in conjunction with the Chicago Police Department to first minimize the rise of Fred Hampton and the Black Panther Party, and then ultimately to to murder him when it seemed like that he, <laughs> he was going to get too much power. He's going to get too much control over this, not even control over this Rainbow Coalition, but forming this coalition of but people. Forming the a, Rainbow Coalition right. in general to be like, oh, it's an actual, like, it's not only just a race issue, but it's a class issue. Right. And then they're like, "Oh shit!" And you no, know, we love no a, good. We love a good class issue on this on this show. Um, a good mix too, like sure, sure, sure. The, but like focus of both. I just, I think, in terms of like the the the, the culture or the narrative in the culture now, I feel like we tend to look at the race is just easier to depict in film. So a lot of people depict race issues and like askew the class issues or they kind of bury the class issues i think this movie kind of looks straight on at both of those things um you know roy mitchell plays it's like a boots riley situation absolutely well it's a, the keith stanfield is no, yeah. and boots, uh, boots riley um roy mitchell plays on uh bill o'neill's kind of desire to just have anything you know to not live this you know to you know, he doesn't want to be a good guy necessarily. He just wants to to not do the thing that he's doing. He wants to have money. He wants. We don't even know what he wants. He just wants to not be scuffling. As as you know, as far as we know, um, and I think that's kind of indicative of like the division between Bill O'Neill and Fred Hampton, where Fred Hampton is really willing, and then ultimately Fred Hampton and um, his girlfriend Deborah Johnson, uh, played by Dominique Fishbeck, who's really really good and um, should get nominated. But you won't because everything sucks this year. Um, but maybe it won't. I don't know. I just feel like we're not going to... Uh, this Glenn Close thing is driving me fucking crazy. Um, Glenn Close is not going to... I would almost bet money. But I, think that I will she, bet money if you want to on that. The fact that she might get nominated over Dominique Fishbeck kind of grosses me out. Kind of... It makes me feel skeevy. Like it just... Or even like the Delroy Lindo losing to 
to Gary Oldman thing. Like Gary yeah, Oldman yeah. just has to be nominated because then he's the only white guy. Like there just has to be a white guy nominated. Just I don't want to talk about it. I want to talk about it. this movie is excellent. Um, you know it, tr- it, it. It. I think it does a really good job of tracking. Uh, Bill O'Neill's uh, turn from a guy who just kind of wants to get stuff, wants to get money, is you know is not really super involved in the in the party, is willing to kind of leverage his uh, growing involvement uh, or the idea of a growing involvement with Roy Mitchell um, to get a car. And you don't ever think that that car is like necessarily for the party. He just has he's a guy that has a car now. Um, into turning it into something really, really fucking heavy and like really something that you can see is twisting Lakeith Stanfield up inside. Um, meanwhile, Daniel Kaluuya is just like a revelation in this. What do, I mean, what do we say anymore about Daniel? I don't Kaluuya? even know. I mean, he's just. I mean, so all the quiet, all the quiet moments, he's really effective. And then you have the the, the speech when he gets out of prison, and it's just like one of the most electric things. That I've seen on my television in while, like a year, while doing voice work that makes him sound just damn near like Fred Hampton. And like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't put the captions on because I found them distracting. Yeah, me too. They're huge. And come on, so, calm down, HBMX. And so I didn't catch a lot of the stuff he was saying, but I was like, I don't even care. Like it's just all attitude and delivery, and it's he's you know you're just engrossed, you're just enraptured. And that's where Shaka King is an amazing director because he balances that scene or he ratchets up the tension of that scene by putting Roy Mitchell in the background there and having Lakeith Stanfield just planted right in front of him and it's just this really intense great uh, like cinematic scene um I don't know JP we haven't heard from you yet today yeah that's the best scene in the movie um does anyone want this no you want it okay barbecue spell all right, continue, sir. Uh, no, I thought it was really good. Um, Jesse Plemons is also his usual quietly fantastic self. Mm. Um, the biggest thing with this is, um, for me, it's a story that more people needed to know about. Um, Including myself. And so that it got really a really good treatment is important. Mm-hmm. Because when I first heard about this, it, it just validated my belief that you know policing and everything is garbage you know yeah well i mean it's the worst sort of you know act of i don't know in political history in terms of like these police just barging in and killing this guy just outright killing him yeah and because they were the police it was you know they were like oh they're doing god's work or whatever whatever people say about the police i mean they firebombed that building, like, next to, like, in front of people. Like, you know. I mean, I know it's a movie. Or, in, after the fact, the grand jury being hand-selected of, like, just two black people who are going to represent the community being, like, mildly affluent. Yeah, yeah. Um, one, yeah. Uh, I don't know how I knew about the Fred Hampton thing. I've known about it for a while. I, I didn't just, know about it at all. Did just you because know about it? I've known about it oh, quite really? a while. I think, I I think just... just because I'm... So anti stuff, <laughs> um, but I'm just—I I think I've always had a, a deep hatred for like the FBI in general. 
So there goes my dreams of becoming a special agent. But like, just I, I just. Did you have dreams of becoming a special agent? As a kid. Oh really? Because of the movie we'll talk about, uh, I think, uh, next week. <laughs> oh yeah, I need to go find out what that was. FBI. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, do we have to watch that show now? No, fuck no. I mean, if you want to watch three seasons of a different show, I'd Well, you know what's it. so funny is that I know a bunch of... I mean, you know an <laughs> FBI agent. Mm-hmm. You know, I know the same FBI agent. I know this other guy who's, I think, even more of an FBI agent than... Yeah, and I know another one, but... Oh, you do? Okay. Um, and they're... I don't know what they do, but he could do anything. I mean, our one friend was not concerned about getting completely totally blasted and then driving home because he's in the FBI. Oh, I've I've seen that in the past too. Um no, this is uh, an exceptional film. Shaka King has such a tight control not only over this narrative but over kind of um the visual fidelity of of the film. Uh-huh. Uh like that that scene where um was it Jake? Jake Winters it engages in the shootout, like with mm. the, the police. It has like it, it darkens back to me to like the Departed and the Scorsese aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But it has like just I don't know. It's it's a movie that has like such a concern for its color palette. Like I I, I texted you like I was so bummed that I couldn't see this know, yeah, yeah, yeah. on a big screen. Yep. and it it doesn't fail for that. It, like it doesn't hurt the film in any way. But for such a, a small film, it would work would have worked so it's the first film i've seen that i'm just like oh i wish i could have seen this in theaters mm-hmm. and i saw like that movie that christopher nolan tried to make um and you know you know from a performance standpoint like like just the keith stanfield's so like understated most of the times and you kind of forget about him and then he does something and you're just like oh right like he just blows your mind yeah um yeah, Daniel Kaluuya is not much to say. I I wasn't I wasn't in love with Dominic um, Pushback. I, I thought in a film. I, I it, it, my thing is like in a film where there's a lot of like eye acting. Mm. There's a lot of like acting with the eyes. A lot of kind of like like when Jesse Plemons is kind of just sitting there confused as fuck. I mean he's a he's a racist piece of shit, but confused as fuck when like. Martin Sheen's weird monster face comes in and starts talking about his baby. I will say this: makeup work in this. Is um, I love that scene because he's like, "What if your daughter?" But he, man, Jesse Plemons almost seems like he doesn't know what he's being asked. Like, no, yeah, legitimately, it seems like he was Jesse talking Plemons. to Martin Sheen like one second ago, and then all of a sudden, nobody said action, nobody said anything, and all of a sudden, Martin Sheen's just like. What if your daughter brought home a... Bla- you know, and yeah. What was happening here? Um, my pro- like, in, in, in a film where there's so much acting with the eyes, like it's it's striking that she's doing a lot of like face acting, but her eyes always look the same. Think, and this is a real... Yeah. I think she's great in it, but for some reason she just did not hit the level everyone else did for me. I thought she and was doing a lot of body stuff. She is. Like she's, a, a lot of her entire body is doing stuff, but her like... Stuff. And this is like so the weirdest criticism I've ever had of a film. Like her eyes just always kind of seem kind of like doughy, like kind that's, of just like. But that's Jennifer Lawrence. Shocked. Syndrome. That's what Jennifer Lawrence. Um, yeah, I never really talk. I never talk about Jennifer Lawrence's performances. That's great, and I never really talk about like she won an Oscar. <laughs> I mean, it's the same problem that um, 
you know, had this problem was uh, he's not a good actor, but Adrian Brody had this problem. Whereas he would do stuff with his he body. He also won an Oscar. I know, but he's. I'm trying to mention like good actors. No, I, I have know, this problem. But his saying. eyes would always just kind of be kind of like just staring through a person. Yeah. Um. And and like that. That's my problem here. Is just like she's just. Like she just stands out. Um. And I'm just. It's kind of like searching for a criticism because I think this is exceptional. It's a film. That does not feel like it's two hours. Like it, you end up watching going like, I want you want more of it. Um, well, it keeps surprising you. So when Lil Real Howery shows up as this F, that FBI informant in the bar, like I did not see Queen. that coming right. at all. Right. And then he's just there, and he's like saying the stuff, and you're just like, oh shit! Like this is going, this is going down. And I think, look, Heath Stanfield. So what you kind of mentioned, like you kind of forget he's that he's there. I think the beauty of his performance and i think we'll talk i, I, mean, I don't mean just that no he's, he usually just feels no, like no, no, but i think the beauty of this performance is that i think they could do that because his like raw nerve energy is like underneath every scene that he's not in i, I mean i'm gonna so there's no you're not you're, you're never comfortable seeing daniel kaluuya and dominic fishbeck have a conversation or like start to kiss or do anything because you know that like running like a fucking like a vein underneath, like the skin of this movie is just Lakeith Sandfield's performance, just radiating. Like I'm gonna die. Yeah, and then and I don't want to die, but I'm gonna die. And the second he shows like true, actual, deep, um, like beyond, he that goes away, and it becomes like sadness mm-hmm. when he's just like, I'm getting another drink, another drink yeah. scene, which is just my favorite yeah, scene yeah. of this. Um, it's just like that's like his scene, um, like. All, anything you felt bad about Bill O'Neill washes away. You know, he's just as much of a victim. You know, it, it, at the time he was 19, 20 years old. 17. So, yeah, 17. 17. Yeah. Um, You're a kid. You know, it, I, what, I, what I so much appreciate about this film, and unfortunately, I watched this movie the night before I watched your movie. Oh. And it kind of ruins your movie for me. Mm-hmm. Um, is is you know is just a fact that like there is this like really tight control and when it could present him as just like another kind of asshole cog in the sort of machine that's in play it, it washes that away with just that performance that that one mo- like that one moment even though like before you felt sympathetic to him you feel empathetic to him cuz cuz it's kind of it's a moment where you go like you it feels like you know of moments not, not like nowhere near the level I mean, there, I've, but you feel. I've done this. You I've feel done, it. I mean, yeah, I've I've been in this situation. Exactly. It's not easy. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you know what? You know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, like, 100%. In a way. Uh, and that's the thing is, is Shaka King has such as this, this this control of getting the emotional affect he wants out of you. Yeah, I mean, in, in every moment. And it, I mean, it, it doesn't hurt that he's working with Sean Bobbitt. That's obviously not an accident. Um, so I don't. I wonder if they talked to Steve McQueen or whatever, or he was just like, "Yeah, I want to make a movie that looks a lot like Widows." Shit. But I want like the colors to be like brown and maroon and like a kind of sick yellow. I was. I was one. I didn't even pick up that connection. I was wondering. I was watching this, going like, "Why is this just like a Steve McQueen movie?" But it's. But it's kind of different. It's different, it's different but it looks. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. the look of it is it's, Steve some McQueen. Some of the stuff, you know what's funny is that it's like stuff, stuff in the eyes looks like a Steve McQueen movie, but like all, everything around it doesn't look like 
Steve McQueen. It's no. It's like some of like the character the character stuff. You know what the scenes look like to me? It's like got a lot of Paul Schrader. It's pretty rough. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like, like yeah, and like the 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 production design and all that, and then the way that shot and the grain of the film is like a real Paul Schrader. Yeah, and I, when I say rough, I don't mean like bad. I just mean rough, like gritty and. Well, what, what it's supposed what it's supposed to yeah, yeah, yeah. to feel like because it's it's you know, it is people in their twenties kind of creating this system in the west side of uh, Chicago. Um, you know, and contrast that with the kind of the cleanliness and grandeur of those scenes with Martin Sheen has cunt lips, J. Edgar Hoover. Why, why have we, why, why have we forgotten how much we hate J. Edgar Hoover as an historical thing? Um, I don't know. Because one time Leonardo DiCaprio played him in a film, in a Clint Eastwood, an Eastwood movie? movie. Yeah. With Army Hammer. After, after watching this, I watched a, I read a five like page essay, like an apologist essay for J. Edgar Hoover, like by an FBI agent, and I'm just like, go fuck yourself. Yeah, we're all okay. Moving on from J. Edgar Hoover, <laughs> who's still defending J. Edgar Hoover. Like J. Edgar Hoover's one of those people. If I go back in time, like if if you could, if you could time travel and create a thing where you hunt people <laughs> through time. Jagger Hoover would be on my list. Well, you know what's like, so funny? I think Hitler me, wouldn't be on my list. Jagger Hoover, Andrew Jackson would be like top two on my list. I think one of the things that's really interesting, and I think it speaks to a little bit of what's happening in my movie, is that like you needed to, and it's a bad thing to say, but all of these, these, as a country, we were so forgiving of certain aspects of like the things that we didn't understand necessarily. And so we just kind of let them test the limits of their power to, like, degrees that just ruin fucking culture forever. Well, and it's funny because you look like it's a bygone, you know, it's, it's you got to look, it's a previous generation. It's like Bobby Seale's still alive. Yeah, and like not that previous generation. Yeah, I mean, right. He's still, is, he's still alive not. and still, like, a pretty okay guy. Well, I was just listening to that. George that, Sims that, is that still alive, I think, right? WTF with uh, Mark Harris, and um, which is pretty good. George Sims is still alive, I think. Oh, oh, um, I don't know. Is he? I think so. Uh, Sam, George Sam, sorry. Yeah, George Sam's is still alive. So, yeah, it's... And they were talking about how Mark Harris was born on the day that they buried JFK. Deborah right? Johnson's still alive. And it's, yeah, Deborah Johnson's still alive. And so these... And these, she's not even that old. No, she's like 72, so 73. It's like, the, it's, we're not that far removed from this stuff. It's just... It's amazing to think how stupid we were as... Yeah, Fred Hampton would be 73 years well, old. And in this instance, because, you know, he was a Black Panther leader, it was sort of swept under the rug, just like forgotten history. Yep. You know, you had to find it somehow. And I don't I don't even recall how I found it, you know, but it's been a while. I, but I did not know the aspect of um, Bill O'Neill being used as an informant mm. and drugging him. I didn't I didn't know that aspect of it. Well, then there's that whole like eyes on the prize Documentary, which like the the interview footage is called from, which apparently is famous, which I I had never heard of, right. and the idea that he the night that it aired he went out and killed himself. Yeah, yeah he tried to kill himself, and, which is just he tried to fascinating. He tried and, to kill himself like once before that night. Uh-huh. He tried to jump out of his window. But what do you make of the clip they include at the end there, where he's almost sort of like defensive about like like he's like. He was okay with it in a, some kind of way, or I got from after. And it's funny. I think he owes. Obviously, he's not alive to so give Lakeith Stanfield a 
uh, like anything. But I think he owes a little bit of a debt of gratitude to Lakeith Stanfield because I saw him as a broken guy. Right. And so, like, the things he was saying didn't register as, like, shitty to me. They registered as ruined. They registered as, like, somebody trying to preserve a legacy thought's already gone. You know what? They registered as someone who's actively trying not to kill themselves. Yeah. And, like, this is, right. how we, this is how I do it. I tell myself this... I tell myself these, like, completely meaningless statements every day. And the fact yeah. they killed himself the night it aired speaks volumes well, to how he felt. He's exposed. Be- yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, I mean, and I think all of that, and that's why I liked this. I mean, it's very Spike Lee. Um, I loved it. And I, I love the fact that he just kind of confronts you with, like, the reality of the situation in, like, a fictional narrative. Um, I, I, thought, I thought it worked. Did you like it? Did you, I'm no. assuming, did you like oh, yeah. it? Yeah, I, I, think, it. I think we all, we, all, we all... But some people don't like it. Well, they're wrong. <laughs> they are wrong. I mean, I, my one criticism was Dominic Fishback, and that's just, uh, she was great, but in a performance, like, a, a big fish in a gigantic sea sort of situation. Mm. Like, she stood out because she was really good, but not just, like, it's like, it's like the Martin Sheen issue. Martin Sheen's good in what he, like, well, his actual just, whatever is that's fine. Just, it's so not necessary. Just have him talk on the phone. Nobody cares. Nobody needs to see Jay Hoover. Yeah, I'll say this. The makeup work in this leaves, leaves some to be... <laughs> well, was, yeah, his face looked like it was like split in two and then just kind of like he looks stuck like back a, together. He looks like a fucking Dick Tracy villain. <laughs> he looks like he looks like um, the back of a Mad Magazine where <laughs> right. you had to like fold the, the, the things in three and then like form a face. That's what it looks like they did. Like a... Oh man, what the hell was his name? Uh, a Bosch painting or whatever? Oh, Hieronymus Bosch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stupid Martin Jean makeup. All right, we will be right back with my, as we've been telegraphing, hopefully you picked up on that, my number seven. Number seven. Fascinating. Welcome back. Um, I have a lot to, we have a lot to get through um, with mine and with, with, with Mario's. Not a lot to get through We're with number mine. seven, man. We got work to do. We're doing it. Um, so my number seven is... I feel like we've talked about what my number seven is. Maybe not like this is my number seven, but I've mentioned this a lot of times. Is what? Why am I not hearing you through my headset? Uh, because I'm using this this thing. Okay. So it's it. coming through less, less loud. Got it, got it. Um, my number seven is Oliver Stone's 1991 masterpiece, JFK. Y'all got to get into your minds how the hell the spooks think. Now, they're not ordinary crooks. Think the unthinkable. Question everything. Now, we're through the looking glass here, people. White is black, and black is white. You don't believe me? All this time, you never believed me. I just want to raise our children and live a normal life. I want my life back. Look, this thing's bigger than all of us. Now, how many corpses is it going to take for you lawyers to figure out what you want? People got to know. People got to know why he was killed. You know what you got for me? I'm a dead man! Unless I can kill the president, I can certainly get me. Your mouse fighting a
there's going to be an attempt to kill you somewhere between here and New Orleans. I say let justice be done over heaven's fall. the official trailer that seems like very modern music but it's apparently the official trailer um let's i'll give you some background information on jfk in case you don't know it's uh like i said directed by oliver stone uh it got nominated for eight uh, academy awards it won two for cinematography and best editing uh it was nominated for picture director supporting actor for tommy lee jones which i thought was a choice not that he didn't deserve it but it's just you know there's like a million people that could get nominated. He got nominated. Uh, score, screenplay, and sound. When sound was just one thing, and then it was different things, and now it's going to be one thing again. Um, music by John Williams, which I think is one of like an underrated John Williams score. Um, kind of classic in a lot of ways, but also doing some different stuff. Cinematography by Robert Richardson, which is funny because I don't usually like Robert Richardson movies, but I like this one. Quite a bit, um, and he's doing a lot of different stuff. Um, and then edited by Joe Husting and Pietro Scalia. I don't know what that means because I don't know who they are, but I don't care. Um, they, they won Academy Awards, so good for them. Uh, it was adapted from two books: Jim Garrison's book about about you know his experience, kind of looking for uh, you know investigating the, the killing of JFK, and then Jim Mars's book um, Crossfire: The Plot That Killed Kennedy. Uh, if you don't know, I don't know why that would be the case, um, but Jim Garrison was under the impression that JFK was killed not by Lee Harvey Oswald, but that Oswald was a Oswald was uh, part of a larger conspiracy um, involving many different layers of the United States government up to the Vice President of the United States. Um, maybe, possibly, who knows. Um, and this movie tells about the investigation of that. I think I want to start this by framing it with a story. I feel like I've told this story before, Mario, and you can kind of, you can kind of, uh, tell me to shut up. Have I told this? I I feel like I've told this story before about me going to the cabin. Yeah, but I don't know if you've mentioned, mentioned the, 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 this Kmart? film in reference to it. So for Father's Day one year, uh, my family got me a. I, uh, they rented me a cabin alone to read the books, to read some books and drink some beers. And so I was, I, I decided I was going to really like rough it. So I brought an HP Lovecraft book and I brought infinite jest and I brought a bunch of like roughing po- it by Mark Twain. No, no, no. Just like rough it like in life. But that would, have, that would have been great if you had. I don't really it. like Mark Twain. I have, a, I have kind of a problem with the way that we've kind of venerated Mark Twain, but it's a different conversation. Wrong person to talk to. Yeah. I, um, so I brought, to eat, I was just like, I'm going to do this, you know, I'm going to gonna go raw, I'm going to eat some beef jerky. So I bought a bunch of beef jerky and I bought like a, four bags of clementines. And I was like, this is all I'm going to eat, beef jerky and clementines for three days. And I brought my computer, I was going to write some stories, and I was going to read some books, and I went for a, like a huge fucking hike, and I saw a, like a bear when I was like up, I was like up this like fucking hill or mountain or something, and then like I like heard movement, I looked down and there was like a bear just kind of like streaking across, and I was like, fuck it, I'm done. 
Some of this hiking. How much beef jerky? Like a lot of beef jerky. For how many days? Three. Yeah, but how much? That's, that's like doable. 30 bags of beef jerky. It wasn't. So the problem, Mario, was that it wasn't 30 bags of beef jerky. It was like four bags of beef that's jerky. That's not enough beef jerky. It was not enough beef jerky, Mario. <laughs> so at some point after my hike, I was like, I'm bored. I've hiked this. It was a state park. I had enough clementines. It's all no, not the way I eat clementines. Um, I didn't bring enough beer either. I brought two four packs of Brooklyn Summer. It was not enough for three days. For three days I mean, by yourself. Well, so that's the whole point. Is that nothing was? I was like, I'm gonna read. I would buy a bottle of whiskey. That probably would. I wasn't. I just assumed I wasn't gonna need any of this stuff because I was gonna read and I was gonna write. And I was like, I'm not even gonna be paying attention to this stuff. At some point, I did all the hiking that I could do because I'm fat. I finished my H.P. Lovecraft book, Infinite Jest. I got like 150 pages in of like a fifth time of trying to read this book, and I was like, you know what? Fuck this book forever. I'm not doing it. I've never tried to read it. I'm I, it's funny because I actually got less far this most recent time, which is this time I'm referencing here, than I did like other times. Like I've read half of the book. Well, because you weren't in your 20s anymore. I read, right. Yeah, I read it once. Like the whole thing? 97, yeah. And did, feel... it, did it reward you? God, it was, it was such a slog. I kind of feel like... When I do dating websites again, the first thing I should put is, have never tried <laughs> to read Infinite Jest. Yeah, I feel like that would probably be a benefit. I think that yes, makes me a hipster. Yes. Not reading it? Yeah. Hipsters, hipsterism has changed. Well, no, you'd be the vanguard of the new hipster. Yeah. Mm. Anti-Wallace. Yeah. I feel like that's got to be the name of my next record, if I ever make one. Vanguard of the new hipster. Um, so I was hungry. And I was bored. And I was like, I gotta, I'm gonna go get in my car, I'm gonna drive, I'm gonna find something to eat. I found myself a little strip mall with a stop and shop, got myself a huge fucking sandwich, some chips, and uh, some Pop Tarts for breakfast the next day. And I was food. What kind of Pop Tarts? Taking care of strawberry, frosted. Yes. Come on. Or Boogerberry. Or bo- nothing, nothing. Wild, nothing wild berry. I like wild berry. Well, oh, one of the berry jellies is fine. When I was yeah. a kid, I used to eat a lot of s'more pop tarts. I did too. And then when I ate them recently, I was like, oh my god, yeah, no. Pe- people have tried to push the chocolate ones on me. No. no. Or the brown sugar. Right, right. No. Take, keep that shit. <laughs> I was like, I'm so bored. So one of the things I did the when I, before I got so bored was I had in my car a... Not on purpose. It was just like fell under the seat. A DVD from Crowded House's last performance in Sydney, Australia, at the Sydney Opera House. So I watched a Crowded House music video, and I was like, after that was over, I was like, now this is the end. This is the end of Tom. I am just bored to death. So when I went to get the food, there was a drugstore. I went into the drugstore because sometimes in the drugstore they sell movies. And I was rewarded with a large selection of three ninety nine to six ninety nine videos, or not videos of DVDs. Um, most of them probably pre-watched rental copies that were repackaged and sold to drugstores. By Tommy Case. Yeah, and there, sitting like a like a beautiful beacon, was one of my favorite all time movies, JFK. So I sat alone in a cabin my computer eating a huge Italian sub eating clementines just 
loving my existence because I had JFK to keep me warm and safe. I fucking love this movie, for one. Love it. And I have a new kind of reference. Did you did you listen to the Mark Harris? I listened to about two-thirds of it. I didn't finish it. So at one point, they talk about, like, Mike Nichols, because Mark Harris just wrote this uh, biography of Mike Nichols, and they talk about how, like, Mike Nichols just, like, loved Fellini. And, like, it was, like, the pinnacle of movie making was, a film was Fellini. And wasn't a piece of shit by everyone now talking about Mike Nichols, like, finally. Wasn't a piece of shit? Yeah, no, he was actually, like, a really good, like, Natalie Portman came out and said Mike Nichols was the one person, guy, who did not try to, like, sexually yeah, which is do good. anything with her. I think and, uh, Rachel Nichols from ESPN has talked, because she's married to Mike Nichols' son, Okay, has talked a lot about how he was just, like, the best guy. Like, you know, most people don't know. Everyone knows kind of, like, the the film history of Mike Nichols, but they don't know, like, the family man, Mike Nichols, or any of this stuff, and he was just, like, the best guy. But he was talking about how Mike Nichols, for, for Mike Nichols, Fellini was, like, the filmmaker, the pinnacle of film was Fellini. For me, my next two weeks are, as far as I'm concerned, the pinnacle of... I'm still... I'm still, like, registering sound, though. Okay. You just died out for me. I know what you mean, because I can't hear myself either, but I'm definitely still making sound. I can see it on the screen. Got it. No, you're you're coming back. Okay, so that's... I don't know what's happening there. Um, For me, JFK, from a technical standpoint, is the absolute pinnacle of filmmaking. Not, Not saying it's the best movie ever made. I definitely wouldn't say that. But when I encountered it, And ever since, I've kind of held it up as the most film film. It's like the one that uses the medium of film the best to kind of tell whatever story it is. We had a text conversation about this earlier, Mario, about the fact that, like, one of your problems with JFK has always historically been that, like, you just don't care who killed JFK. I also don't care who killed JFK. I couldn't give two shits about who killed JFK. I think Stephen King is wrong in saying that, like... He definitively, Lee Harvey Oswald, killed JFK. Yeah. He clearly didn't. But, I like, I don't hold, like, a... Per- I'm not, like, personally invested in, like, who did what to whom. I'm also not personally invested in, like, like um, American history at that time. Like, I'm not, like, I think Vietnam sucks. Like, you know, there's tons of things that, you know, to be upset about in all this stuff. But I don't have, like... There's bigger issues in history at the time. Well, not even bigger than... issues, but like I'm not like personally holding on to them to the point where I'm looking for art to define my feelings about that era. I, I guess my issue with the JFK thing is like there was much more depressing things happening in sure. the era, era, especially in terms of assassinations, mm-hmm. than just some fucking white dude from Massachusetts. Right. Um, but as a film with the different just the different ways that he presents the evidence with, that he presents a narrative that he tells the story um, it, it is it will always be for me the most film film I don't know if you have I don't know if you have one of those um, and I definitely because JP was like cognizant as a person when JFK came out so I'm so interested to hear what this is about but like you know and I guess he would push... Oliver Stone would push it much further with, like, Natural Born Killers. With, like, just, like, 
what he's throwing in your face. Right. Yeah. But I think what just, do you mean? Like, what do you mean by film? Film. Like, well, just like the mix of so there's like a, a traditional narrative film in here. You know, what I mean, all the Jim Garrison like at home sitting at the restaurant. There's like just regular stuff in here. Real footage. Real footage, but it's also mixed with actual footage, actual news footage. Well, that's it's what I mean. Mixed yeah. with doctored actual news footage where they're you know Gary Oldman who kind of cemented his reputation in my mind as being a good actor, mm-hmm. even though I'm kind of... There was Sid and Nancy, and then there was this. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm kind of believing now that maybe Gary Oldman isn't a good actor. <laughs> but, like, I... I think all, he just stopped trying. I was happy that he won an Oscar because he didn't win one for playing Lee Harvey Oswald. I mean, like, to that... So it's kind of... Um, it's kind of got that it's like it got that elevated thing for me but also just you know the combination of all these things the juxtapositions he does all these kind of um i'm thinking of the like the opening sequence where you see all those people talking and then the gunshot rings out and then you just see the birds yeah you know what i mean yep. and the birds are 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 i guess narratively significant in the sense that you know time and place and whatever and he's not trying to show you just like any birds these are like relative to the to the to where they came from and witnesses off the building and all that other stuff but it's framed as this kind of montage of of of, of build up of exactly of filmed elements that all working together simultaneously sometimes like all these you know totally disparate things and you don't even know what is real or not real, and so it kind of mirrors the sensation oh, that's happening in the movie, builds up to these kind of crescendos of just something, like film euphoria, where it doesn't even really matter if what Donald Sutherland is saying is bullshit or made up or like who it's an amalgam of, of, of history of or whatever. All of these things working together, it's just... There's all these moments that are just like five minutes of just pure Perfection. cinema bliss. Yeah. Where you're just so invested in whatever's happening so that even when like, you know, you feel stuff like the disappointment in, of Jim Garrison when Willie says like that, you know, you, he ha- you have to know why he was killed because he was a communist. Yeah. And just this stupid bullshit. Well, and you're just kind of like, ah, oh, it's so deflating. Like you feel so deflating because you're so, whether or not you feel anything about like what's happening, you're just in it. He's Oliver Stone has made this movie that just buries you in film and information, and and to a fault, he stuffs all of it into it. All of it, yeah. All of it, and and there's stuff that you're almost like. Maybe just don't put that in there because it kind of works against you. Mm-hmm. Like you know the 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 homosexual sort of liaison sort of stuff. Right, right, right. And um, wait, I, I think I think even even more so than that. It's like having um, you know John like William Gate, who I'd seen before, like the day before. He does like the voice of LBJ, and he had been like he had done the trial of Lee Harvey Oswald and. Um, Ruby and Lee or whatever, Ruby and Oswald back in, like, the 70s. Mm-hmm. Like, it shows that, like, I think there's, like, so much control in this. Right. That's to a fault for me. Well, so, for me, it's because I'm, and so it's, it's interesting, and I, I'm, I'll stop in a second. For me, that No, you can take as much time as you want. No, no, because I'm, I want to, like, broaden the discussion. I, um, 
for me, that control is paramount. I'm what I'm getting off on in this movie is that level of directorial control. There is a vision here, and that vision is split amongst just hundreds and hundreds of different things, and he spliced them together to make something that I find like utterly thrilling. And from a, a, a film watcher standpoint, it was the first time I'd ever kind of. And this is not one of those first time things. I've watched it. JFK is like, I love watching JFK. And it's super fucking long, and there's a director's cut, whatever. I love this movie. One of the things I love is that he is, it's like a symphony. It's like a, it's like a fucking John Cage symphony, or a Charles Ives symphony, where there's atonal shit happening, like with an undercurrent of melody. And you just don't, you don't know what's happening, but you can feel something. It's like, it's, it's giving you feelings, even though you don't necessarily know what they are. Yeah. What were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say, uh, you know, I watched it just a couple months ago with my son. and um, Yeah, yeah, I wanted to hear about this. Well, he was thoroughly engrossed. and um, But what it, I was looking on Wikipedia at the, you know, the Stone's filmography. How, how did the doors come out in March of 91 and then this came out in 91? How do you make this movie in two years? Watch small acts and then you see how somebody can do that in a very short period of time. Cocaine. Cocaine, yes. Well, probably because I'm assuming that the principal filming for this movie, and I I guess I could look on Wikipedia and look that up, is that... How many people? It didn't take very long to film... Each person. Each thing, and then... You just and then it's just an editing exercise. You know what I mean? You yeah. just it's in all done While in pre-production editing. of the Doors, he wanted to make a film about Howard Hughes. We should read. We should all read the Oliver Stone book that just came out. But I don't think it gets to JFK. I think it stops when he makes like. Oh yeah. Um, Shooting only lasted seventy nine days, which is surprising for me like well, yeah because it's just a lot of kevin costner delivering lines yeah and then in, in like interspersed with other stuff but the amount of care like for um like dealey plaza and all that is pretty impressive especially for the time because now they would have just do it digitally and they would just shoot everything however they're going to shoot it and then they would just fix it post yeah. but you know they, sh- they, they would shoot that stuff in it. black and white or they would shoot it on the well they actually the built film reel. they built i think daily plaza up Oh really? Look, if I remember right, they like spent a shit ton of money to make that to look, look like it looked in 1963. Now I want to ask you, uh, what year did you originally see it, and how much background did you have in in JFK so conspiracy talk? I think this is one of the things for me is that I don't remember when I saw it. I feel like I've always, I've always had JFK as like a part of my life. Mm-hmm. I definitely didn't see it. So in, when it came out in 1991. I was nine years old. Yeah. So I definitely didn't see it when I was nine. I probably saw it when I was seeing other stuff, like your number seven, like as an early teen, where like you just go over to somebody's... <laughs> Wait, did you just assume I saw Die Hard as an early teen? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm saying okay. I saw your oh. number seven when oh. I was an early oh, teen. Oh, got it. No, I assumed you saw it when you were like two years old. When they were I saw like, JFK like in 94. When they were like, look it. They just held you up in front of the scene. I literally saw JFK in 94 when um, I was eight. And it wasn't, no, no one was shielding it from me. Just like it wasn't, that stuff wasn't valued. No one was, my, my dad was like, here, listen to this record. He would say that before he would say like, watch this movie. So I had to see it like at a friend's house where... 
they have like the two cassette yeah, box, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they were just like, "This is J- a- like watch watch JFK." Really quickly because I forget about this. That is by far the prettiest fucking VHS box ever. Oh, it's great! <laughs> like that white cover. Yeah. Yeah. And like that slash of the red border, white, white border. Yeah. Oh. Well, that's and JFK just it just seems eternal. It seems part of the film kind of uh, the film language. It almost kind of it's it Oliver Stone. So it's weird to think of these directors that are going to live forever. And Oliver Stone won like Academy Awards and all this other stuff for directing. And he's got other classic movies, but JFK is part of the the film language forever. And right. people are still making versions of, like, JFK. They're just doing terrible jobs. I mean, so did you... Oh, shit. I didn't realize he won for Born on the Fourth of July for director. Yeah. Oh. Director? Uh-huh. He's got two directors. He's got, yeah, he's got, got Platoon. Platoon. I knew yeah. Platoon, but I was, like, I was just like, I wonder if he won for anything else. But... Tom Berenger was in a Best Picture winner. Are we all cool with this? I always forget he won screenplay for Midnight Express as well. Oliver yeah. Stone has won a lot of Oscars. Four. I mean, it's pretty good. I mean, I don't know why he's so mad at like and film I, culture, but that they hate him. I still Roger need to see Salvador. What? I still need to see Salvador. Yes, you do. All right, JP, tell, tell well, us the the JFK story. Well, here's so Mario's like, I don't give a shit about JFK. I don't give a shit about JFK either. I didn't know much about anything, but this came out in '91. In '88, I was a junior in high school. Do you remember Wally Rollins? Uh, Mr. Rollins. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So he was my homeroom teacher. Oh, this, this is a person I would not know. This is a, no. this is a, I was like, <laughs> like, is this a name? This I is a Milford, Connecticut story. Okay. Yeah. He was my homeroom teacher, freshman, so, you know, all four years. But junior year, fall, um, I take his class, whatever it was, like social studies, some social mm-hmm. studies. Thing. He was a sort of hack teacher. Great, great guy, funny guy. And so you basically had a choice of three books. I don't remember the third, but I, honestly, I don't remember two of the books' names. But one of them was Wise Guy, Nicholas Pelagi. Oh, nice. Another was some unnamed book on JFK assassination. Uh-huh. And the third book, I don't remember. Yeah. I chose, because I didn't know much about it, um, and I, wasn't, I didn't really care at that point about Mafia, but I was like, eh, let me check out this JFK book. I and it pains me to this day. I don't know the name of it. Yeah. Or the author. I would love to hunt it down. It was in like um like textbook binding, mm-hmm. so I can't like put an image on the, co- the cover image to anything. Oh yeah, cuz it could just be whatever. Right. Yeah. Scariest book I ever read. It gave really? me nightmares because it it pulls in information about the mafia, the CIA, these black and white photos of people mm-hmm. and my whole all I care about is that if it's possible that there was a conspiracy, and this doesn't, it, I'll get to it, but if it's possible that Oswald didn't act alone and either the mob or the CIA did this, all those people got away with it. Yep. And they're going to die getting away with it. And that was the scariest thing to me. Mm. And then, so I just started going to the library, getting like um, best evidence. Every book I could I could get, I would just read it. I just got so into it. And then, so just within three years, and me and, and other friends were into it too. Within three years, then this movie comes out, and it 
just pulls in everything. And he didn't go the mob way. He went more the CIA well, now, did, way. Do you see it in the theaters? Yes. So what was that? I mean, I can only imagine what seeing this movie in theaters would be like. Yeah, my 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 friend Mike Zeno and I came out where our just head, our heads were exploded. It's like he he did it. He he gave you all the information. Well, that's but to give you all the information, I I I don't know how you feel about it, but I feel like all the exposition dumps. I mean, the whole movie is an exposition dump. And right. It's all super fucking compelling. And again, I don't care about JFK, but like. The X, the Mister X scene is in, in fucking incredible. I mean, it's, I, and that and that was something we weren't privy to. So right. that was, and you just watch it. I mean, Donald Sutherland is the perfect guy to do that. He's dressed perfectly. The 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 cinematography is perfect. The way the music builds up, which it's done a bunch of times already in that exact same theme, yeah, yeah. is built up the same way. But the information is, and the information isn't so much more outlandish or more credible than any other information you've heard. But it's just, it's, it's so fucking captivating and chilling and thrilling. Like all at the same time, it's just, it's just everything. And like, does even, the name, does the name "Reasonable Doubt" strike any memory? No. Damn. Okay. Um, I will, I will keep investigating and give you that. <laughs> We're gonna find this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even like the ending of you know Jim Garrison's kind of uh, his the speech he makes at the end of the movie, and he keeps you know he just talks and talks and talks and talks and talks, and then he kind of starts to cry, and then he kind of starts to say you know very pro JFK things that I don't like necessarily like jive with, but you know at the time when I first saw it, I was just like, well, yeah. Like, you know, don't forget him. Don't forget your fallen king or whatever. Right, right. Um, and I don't even know what he was referencing or I don't, you know, know any of these Shakespearean well, allusions. Whatever you think of JFK. He was voted in and then the government quite possibly just decided. Right. And we need him out so we could do what we want to do. All of that stuff, whether it's real or not, when you're watching the movie feels very plausible. And I think the the triumph of the film is the way that he integrates uh, actual stock footage from that time with the stuff he created to the point where you don't... When they take you into the Oval Office or whatever, you know that it's not real, but it feels real. And I think to go back to, to, to There's No I in Threesome, one of the problems that I had with that movie is that the stuff early on doesn't really feel the stuff at the beginning of the movie doesn't ever really feel like a real movie i mean you said you saw like the first 10 minutes of it when i watched that movie like on my computer uh, i got you know i got a screener of it when i watched that movie i was just like well this isn't this none of this feels real yeah because they hadn't established a reality and jfk establishes a reality it's the first film that I encountered. It's probably the best film I've ever encountered at establishing its own reality. And it's not an alternate reality. It's fully plausible within the bounds of what you understand about the world or what one could understand about, especially about the way that the United States works. But it's, it has its own, it's its own kind of little pocket of, of, of American history. And, it's, and it feels... Um, so necessary it feels so it's necessary 
it's necessary in the same way that Judas and the Black Messiah is necessary. Sure. People I, need I to know this stuff. Yeah, like, yeah. And I, I thought about that all week, sort of, because it's like, if you didn't give a shit about anything, you watch JFK. At least, at least take away the magic bullet theory. Yeah, yeah. Take take away the guy in the train yard who saw three people behind the grassy knoll. You know, I mean, take away the relationship to Jack Ruby to everything. Right. You know what I mean? Like these things aren't these things aren't accidents. My mic wasn't on. For how long? I don't know, but Uh-oh. it keeps picking up sound. So. It's fine. Everything's up so high that it's picking up like a room sound. Um, Ooh, Don DeLuga. Americana. It's a good book. Libra. Oh, Libra, right. Americana. Yeah. Um, Mario, we have not heard from you at all. Tell us some JFK thoughts. Um. Are you putting together like a reading list? Like as we're... I am, actually. It's... Actually, it's perfect. Like it's perfect synergy with what we're talking about. That like, there's all these typing sounds going on in the back. It's like someone taking notes, like someone listening in like a bugged room, kind of documenting everything we're saying. Uh, I uh, I've seen this movie twice. Um, the first time I saw it was in the '90s. I think it was 1994. So I was seven or eight at the time. I remember it being. Uh, difficult to get through. Um, Do you think because you were eight? Yeah, because I was eight. Yeah. Um, and my and the second time I ever watched it all the way through, I, I'd seen bits and pieces of it in the past, but I'd kind of always avoided it because I'd had like a really hard. It was a. It really struck me at eight years old how much I didn't like the experience of seeing bits of JFK. Mm-hmm. Um, that I remember vividly the VHS art because mm-hmm. of how I'd see that see it in. And go like one. I know I just didn't like JFK as a kid, mm-hmm. as a, the human, the person JFK. Yeah. And two that I just like remembered the experience. Um, and my second rewatch was was this week. Um, it for me just has the same feeling. I, I I feel the same way I feel about Alan Parker's Mississippi Burning. And I feel about Zemeckis and Forrest Gump, and that it just—it's there. Hmm. Um, I'm—I am in no way, shape, or form an Oliver Stone guy. Hmm. I think Oliver Stone thinks too much about his movies, and, and that's my problem here. Is—is is there's a lot of a lot of thinking. Um, there, there's too much thought, too much action—not action, action in terms of um, intent. I think Put right after it. this, that becomes a problem for me as well. Um, like Nixon and, and yeah. I mean, Natural Born Killers, I think is like the pinnacle. Oh fucking, I hate Natural. Natural uh, Born Killers is one. Of, if we're to do like our bottom hundred films, Natural Born Killers is there. It's interesting because it's kind of like maybe in my top two hundred, but I also would totally understand someone who I, I would totally understand the point of view because I've felt that too and, about Natural Born. And Killers. And my issue with this movie is, I think the first like thirty minutes of this film are are pretty incredible. Um, that entire entire stuff with with Ed Asner and Jack Lemmon is just great. Ed Asner's fucking my favorite part of this film is Ed Asner mm. in this, uh, and he doesn't have a lot to do. He's playing um, Guy Bannister. Guy Bannister, yeah. Um, just playing this racist monster, <laughs> and Jack Lemmon's playing this Weirdly confused Jack Lemmon. Yeah, he's just playing Jack <laughs> Lemmon. Um, 
he's playing like my fellow Americans again. Uh, oh my god! <laughs> Come on, Mario. I love my fellow Americans though. No, that's, that's a positive thing. That's to a say. James Garner thing, though, right? <laughs> no, I like Jack Lemmon's in that too. I think they both work really well. I like my fellow Americans more than I like grumpy, grumpier old men. Or oh yeah, grumpier old odd men. couple. And then I think that that was like the final thirty minutes where you know the trial ha- not the final thirty minutes, but basically Kevin Costner, who I universally think. Just like everyone else thinks, is a subpar actor. Oh, he's terrible. Um, but but he's delivers also that like excellent. that. But delivers that final speech, you know, where it cuts between the models, cuts between the Zipurder film, Zipurder whatever film, like seven times, and the shot of you know JFK's skull going like, "Hello, welcome. <laughs> this is me. I'm a skull." <laughs> um, it's you know, it's basically been fifty years. I can make jokes like that. Back Sixty years. Um, I mean, Seinfeld but did it, right? There's just well, the, the the Wayne Knight presence in the Seinfeld yeah. thing is also great. Did you are you aware that you hate Seinfeld? Well, I didn't know. I, see, I just figured like Wayne Knight wasn't a thing yet. Just like Laurie Metcalf wasn't necessarily a. Thing I think they were both yet. kind of things. They're like coming up. I thought. Well, because Ro- Roseanne's late '80s. I never watched Roseanne, so and I don't know. Seinfeld, I thought would have been early '90s. Seinfeld, I thought would have been Newman 90. would have been just introduced. I think when yeah. this movie came out, maybe the year before was like the. Well, because like Michael Rooker wasn't a thing yet. I don't think, think Sissy Spacek outside of Carrie had been truly established yeah, yet. But like, Cole but there's, there's there's definitely like a lot of like. Sissy Spacek, Cole Miner's daughter was already a thing. Oh, that's true. Um, Michael Rooker for me was already a scarring. Well, because of Henry, yeah. right? But like, uh, but but, oh, but that was an Oliver Stone sort of casting. He definitely wasn't a thing yet. Yep, um, yep. You know, uh, but there's a lot of like prestige choices in this, like John Candy, who I think is a, a good but choice. But that's all that stuff is fucking great, and I think they balance that stuff like the John Candy, Kevin Bacon, you know, uh, Walter Matthau, yeah. Joe Pesci. Um, it's all balanced with like. J.O. Sanders oh, I, getting. I like, preferred. I prefer by far Joe Pesci in this than I do to Goodfellas. I mean, we, we talked about my. Oh yeah, I'm, I, I'm gonna be honest with you. I, I Joe Pesci in Goodfellas is fine. I think if he wins, I think if he wins when he wins for Goodfellas, he's just winning for doing a good job. Yeah, um, I think. I think in know. this, he's actually like applying it to a human. It's, it's a amazing. real person. Um, and that, that's the thing. I, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not criticizing performances. I just think there's so much attempt at a control here. That it ends up feeling like a facade to me, and and like as a person who doesn't give a fuck about who killed JFK because whatever, and yeah, yeah, yeah. no, but there's like a veneration. It, but I think the point is, is the that possibility that your own your own Pentagon the system. And, and CIA are doing it. Yeah, they were just they took advantage of the fact that the system. But, but again, I, it's just I don't, my entire I don't thing don't is care. I don't care about all that, and I think this film asks me to like have an interest in that conspiracy. And as somebody who, you know, never really gave a shit about the JFK assassination, never, like, maybe probably cut out the Joe Biden part. We could edit around that. Um, yeah. Um, as somebody who just doesn't care about those sort of things, and, like, even if a multitude of people killed JFK, I don't care. I, I, I feel uninvested in this. And I don't think there's enough... I think the control in here... Is the same is is similar to like what you see with a, a Stephen King book, where 
not not, not talking about level twenty two sixty three, but I'm trying to think of some of his more minor works where he gets distracted by his like Nixon hate, and you go like, yeah, we get it, but I don't necessarily care about what you're saying. And my problem here is I think watching this Oliver Stone, he's he's doing a thing and he's doing it well, but he wants you to be sort of either invested in the mindset of what he's doing and how he's doing it. Or in the meat of what he's trying to say. And as somebody who doesn't give a shit about either, either. how yeah, yeah, Oliver yeah. Stone... And I'm, and I'm not criticizing the film or well, anything. Point, it's it's just, a movie made for all the conspiracy freaks. But all are Oliver Stone fans. And if you're neither, right. it's well, just there. And you go like, yeah, it's better than what Alan Parker can do. Because Alan he, Parker would show like <laughs> Bugsy a couple years later that he couldn't direct a movie. I mean, my, the, That's like Gene Hackman carried my ass. And I feel comfortable in with my position I guess in the sense that like I'm not an Oliver Stone guy like I traditionally don't really love uh, Oliver Stone movies like Platoon I I find Platoon boring Born on the Fourth of July seems like hysterical I don't I don't love the movies Oliver Stone makes JFK seems to exist outside of Oliver Stone's conventions that he would develop post this movie and I could see because it has it has like the weirdest um it has it has such a control that it, it very much rides that razor's edge. Um, it's not a movie that I'm like, this is a movie I disagree and say is a bad film. I think, I mean, I was uh, I watched it. Well, you know, I, I watched it and, and I, it, I I watched it for the three hours without being distracted by it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't say it's a bad film. I can't look at it and be like, no, it has its faults. I I just ended up watching it and then when I finished, it, I was just kind of like. Okay. Well, the thing, but it does have its fault. It has it has its well, faults in the sense that, like, you know, what I mean, it keeps though, it has, pushing. It, no, but it, like it has its narrative faults in the sense that it keeps pushing um, the family abandonment issue. When you're just like, yeah, you could have just used this time to give me more theories. <laughs> yeah, like, I, 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 I will know, say this: the yeah. weakest part of this film is I look at Sissy Spacek in this movie, and I'm like, ah, oh, man. Well, this, I want that family not in this movie. And you just right. wonder, like, oh, oh, you know. You're never around for the kids, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm investigating oh, the murder I, of a president." Yeah. I forgot. I forgot. Bugsy was also nominated for Best Picture this year. Speaking of Alan, Parker. Alan, Alan Park. Wait, no, Alan Parker didn't direct Bugsy. What did he do with Bugsy then? Didn't Warren Beatty direct Bugsy? No, it was uh, Barry Levinson. Why am I thinking of Alan Parker directing Bugsy? What the fuck did Alan Parker direct? Either oh, way. he directed the Bugsy Malone film from the seventies. Any, anything else? You got anything else? JFK. JFK? Um, no, I'm just I'm just saying it's 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 weird for me. It's weird because it's something that like it's a film I think if it came if it came out now and I was watching it with these kind of fresh eyes, maybe I would appreciate it. But I have like these decades of prejudice to it that I don't even remember why I have decades of pre- one. I don't care about the topic, and two, I just naturally remembered always hating the VHS cover. That I think coming into this film, I was like naturally hesitant. And it didn't overcome it. So it's like a weird, like, sociological sort of thing for me. Um, in the sense that just, like, it's better than I remember it being. Yeah. I, I just, I, I feel as though it doesn't warrant it's, its length. Actually, I'm going to stop you there. It's a, That's a perfect segue into, like, my feelings. And I, it's... Prejudice is like a weird word to use in reference to Break. Can I just say one thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think there's anything if I was... Nobody flips channels anymore, but there's, I don't think there's anything that I would get sucked into more oh, no, me than too. watching this. Yeah, me too. Same right. thing. 
and it really doesn't even matter where it is. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, oh my god, here but it that's, is. But it's just, that's my thing. Like, you don't care about the conspiracy or that. I I just want to fucking be in the movie. I'm always so fucking sad when this movie ends. <laughs> yeah. I, and, like, to the point, like I said, I was going to watch your number seven, and I actually made, I made an, a choice out loud. Do I watch, I just watched JFK again, um, two days ago. And I was like, Last night, I was like, do I watch JFK again? Just because it's... I love it. Just because it's fucking awesome. Or do I watch Mario's number seven? Which I don't have to watch because I've also seen it a bunch of times. And it's... You know, it is what it is. Um, I chose Mario's number seven. Which is... You know, we're segueing now. Here we are segueing. Coming soon. Mario's number seven. That's the sound that this needs. I love it. It maxes out like in like these two little spots. Like, <laughs> yeah. Good. Um, we talked some weeks ago about Mario at the age of six. <laughs> I don't know why it's so funny. I'm just thinking about this and. Well, because the first movie I'm going to say was a movie that my mom needed me to watch at the age of six, and that was Halloween. She just needed me to watch that. And I guess my dad... <laughs> in, uh, she just needed it. Imperative. In, 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 yeah, in yeah. return... I don't know. She, she, she felt I was old enough to watch, to watch Halloween, and you know what? I was. She was a little concerned. You were concerned. old enough to watch anything. Yeah. Um... But in response, I guess my dad needed needed a, needed a, one one of his to show me. And if I was ready for Halloween, then I was ready for his movie for Christmas. And I watched this film, and something happened to me where I became really interested in watching villains fall their death. So much so, maybe I wasn't. I might have been five because I saw Harley Davidson, the Marble Man. No, no, no. Harley Davidson, the Marble Man should have been ninety-three. I first saw. Okay, I think I was six. Um, this is the first movie where I saw a main villain fall to his death. And after this, I became really obsessed with main villains falling to their death. In so much so, when a main villain would be precariously on a ledge, I would stand up as a six-year-old, and start, like, jumping up and down because I think that maybe that main villain might fall to their death. Uh-huh. And then when they would be inevitably shot or not fall to their death, I would be disappointed. Yeah. And that is... Weird. <laughs> why, for many, many reasons, my number seven is the 1988 John McTiernan tax evasion film <laughs> Die Hard. It's Christmas Eve in L.A. California. Is Daddy coming home, Sue? Well, we'll see what Santa and Mommy can do, okay? A New York cop, John McLean, has come to see his wife. I missed you. Instead, he's going to have to save her. Sit down. Within this skyscraper high above the city, 12 terrorists have declared war. They're about to be told a lesson in the real of power. 
They're as brilliant because I am interested in the $640 million in your vault. As they are ruthless. And I'm telling you, you're just going to have to kill them. Okay. We do it the hard way. Now, the last thing McLean wants. Think, damn it, think. Is to be a hero. Where's Howie? Where? But he doesn't have a choice. What does he think he's doing? <laughs> Job. As a child, I had I had pretty severe acrophobia, which is interesting. That I loved watching people fall off of buildings so much. Villains, main villains. Um, Die Hard. You know, it was a Christmas movie. It's it's Christmas Eve. John McClane. Is it a Christmas movie? I don't. I'm, we're not going to do that. <laughs> Who fucking cares? You know what you get to call a Christmas movie? Whatever the fuck you want to call a Christmas okay, movie. Gotcha. If you want to call Born on the 4th of July a Christmas movie, so fucking be it. Is it? I don't know. Tom Cruise will yell at you. Do I call it a Christmas movie? No. If somebody wants to call it a Christmas movie, you know how much that matters to me? None. All these fucking articles about, is this movie a Christmas movie? Literally go fuck yourself in your throat. Find that, like, tracheotomy shot that, like, hit JFK in the throat and fuck yourself in that hole. Yeah. I'm surprised more people aren't making, like, chest holes or, like, upper neck holes to fuck themselves in. Yeah. Aren't you? David Cronenberg needs to do that. I feel like he does. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. Maybe Brandon will do it in his next movie. Anyhow, uh... Christmas Eve, John McClane, gonna go see his wife at the Nagatomi Plaza slash the Fox building. Um, Takagi's there. He doesn't celebrate Christmas, but he's accommodating. Argyle's, you know, I love Argyle. driven driven him there to, to the plaza. I'm doing this all. I'm trying, to do, I'm trying to do my own description for complete memory. Just for fun. Uh, How much are those phone calls costing Argyle? Argyle doesn't. He has a, he has a guy. Um, <laughs> John McClane's there. He looks up Holly McClane. No, it's Holly Gennaro. There's some marital strife there. Mm. He goes upstairs. Guy kisses him on the cheek. John McClane finds it kind of funny. John McClane's a progressive guy. He sees Hurt yeah. Boschner doing some cocaine. He's uh-huh. like, oh, God damn it, Hurt Boschner. Stop doing cocaine. But whatever. Uh, meanwhile... Some uh, terrorists from West Germany are no longer terrorists. They're just a bunch of criminals looking to steal some money. They come in. They talk about, you know, the quarterback being toast because the uh, front door guy gets shot in the head. Another guy who kind of looks like he might be Tolly Blanchard's brother gets shot in the chest after getting flashbanged. They're taking over because they want the $640 million in bonds. I assume... I assume it's from a big deal. I, I didn't think about this until recent, like a couple years ago. Uh, so when, <laughs> I keep saying Herb Boschner because I just always like saying Herb Boschner. Harry, when Ellis, Ellis is talking about um, like, oh, she closed a big deal. Mm-hmm. I remember a couple years ago, I was like, is the, the bonds from the deal? Maybe. I'm going to say yes Do because you, that's fun. Would you pay for th- their service, whatever you know their what? services are in bonds. Because what's interesting is it means, check this out, that um, Holly is technically, not responsible, but Holly's a catalyst for the action. Yeah. 
She's a woman in fridge. My question has always been about the bonds. You can't... Bonds aren't money. I mean, they are money. But they're not just... You can't just go into a store and be like, here's a bond for whatever. Listen. Listen, motherfucker. In the world of Stephen E. D'Souza, who would go on to say that when you kill a person's father, it's just a Tuesday. Okay. It was the most important day in your life, but for, for him, for M. Bison, it was just a Tuesday. M. Bison? Stephen E. D'Souza's only major directorial credit is Street, Street Fighter. Fighter. Sorry, Raul Julia. <laughs> uh, I love that movie. Bonds are money. It's fine. Anyways, anyway. the terrorists, the, 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 the robbers come. There's a big standoff. Twinkies are involved. Glass is involved. You know, Tony, Carl's brother, screams escape, the same scream twice, breaks his neck. Ho, 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 now I have a machine gun. Mm-hmm. John McClane runs out of table, but he's got a gun, and he thanks the guy for some advice. Some bodies are thrown. He's not ordering a fucking pizza. Uh, well, the quarterback is toasted from later to talking about Ah, I fucked that one up. They're talk, you know, they're talking about uh, the the previous day's basketball game when he shoots the security guard at the front door. Oh, Bad yeah, job, yeah, Mario. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, eventually, Hans Gruber, with his love of um, architecture, Alexander the Great, and uh, Arafat's wardrobe, has his watch <laughs> break off. Maybe a Rolex of uh, the Rolex. That Ooh, I never thought about this. No, no, no. Band. Hold on a second. It's not his watch, it's her watch. Mind fucking blown. Check this out. Holy shit. So yep. what I just say what I just say. What I just say. So the six hundred and forty million dollars in bonds uh-huh. is there because of Holly's deal is the, mm-hmm. the, the thing I'm laying out there, right? Yep. What does she get for the deal? The watch. Mm-hmm. Why is Hans Gruber there? Because of the bonds. Mm-hmm. How does Hans Gruber die? By Holly letting go of the watch. It's a film about letting go of the excesses of capitalism. Yep. Well, I, mean, I think it is. I mean, that's what Hans Gruber is all about, right? That has to, that somebody had to written multiple articles about that by I'm now, right? Probably not, because it's Die Hard. <laughs> because there's so many other things that don't make any sense that they wouldn't. But like, I, you know what? The reason I love this movie so much is that I come back to shit like this for what is a very goofy but the best John McTiernan action movie. Your Predator's fine. Your Commando fucking sucks ass. Um, yeah, Commando's good. Okay. Die Hard Three is fine. Die Hard Two's excellent. Uh, Die Hard Three is great. I, I think it's. it's I think Jackson it's good. Movie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fun. Awesome. I think it's fun, but I, I prefer Die Hard 2. Mm. Same movie. And I like Rennie Harlan's dumbness. Rennie Harlan does a good job. And uh, we figured out that the kid in uh, Die Hard 3 was in a movie recently. Yeah, he was in... Um... Too much movie knowledge in brain plus beer equals no good. We were just talking about that. Yeah, I don't remember what it was. But anyways, the fact that I've seen this movie... This movie's in the top... Three movies I've seen multiple times. Why well, thought this was going to be your number one for a long time? It is my favorite movie. This is my favorite movie of all time. Like we're talking about pivotal films, um, you know, films that had an influence in me as a person is how I interpreted that. This is by a wide. If we're talking about my favorite movies, 
scream this. Hmm. Uh, a movie we'll talk about in a couple of weeks is my number three. It was my number three on the pivotal list. It but scream back is so low. It is, but because it, it doesn't do anything for me, I just watch it. Mm. I watched it constantly. It's like Halloween H two O. As a kid, and even still <laughs> now, I watch Halloween H two O a lot. Why? Because I like it. I watch Halloween three a lot too. Like these are this movie's like uh, a good. It's a it's a chocolate almond chip from Friendly's ice cream for me. I have downstairs. I know there's a snowstorm tomorrow. I eat. I like right, eating right. it, eating it a lot because I like I like watching Die Hard a lot. I like I said I watched Die Hard three times this year, hmm. uh, in the past year, just because why not? Um, I every time I watch, I this is the movie I can quote. You know, I, I imperfectly quote it, but I can quote it just as well. You know, mm-hmm. I'm an exceptional thief. Mrs. McLean, and I'll, you know, blah, blah, that sort of thing. It's just, every time I watch it, even though I know all of its story beats, it always makes me feel good. It just always makes me happy. Um, and as a person, you know, this is the culmination of the action film discussion we've been having for the sure. hundred episodes yeah, yeah, yeah. or so. Um, this is the pinnacle of action for me. This is the, the, the uh, coup de grace of, of action. Um, it it is never has easily refined as it is here. Um, it has uh my favorite my second favorite performance of a villain in film history. Um, what's your first? We'll talk about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can probably guess from saying that. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, clocks. Gotcha. You you get that? Mm-hmm. Clocks and citrus. Sure. Orange Um Yeah, no, I I just I I cannot not watch this movie. Uh when if I ever unfortunately inseminate somebody and produce an heir <laughs> to my shit capital, uh, I will present that child this film. And be like, and if that child doesn't get it, I will smother it with a pillow. He will. (laughs) No, but I I assume if that person's a breathing human being who has been listening to me for some amount of time, they will get it. And he's not going to be like, or or she will be like, Daddy, that person's knee has just exploded. Which makes this great. Like, like, every time I watch this movie... And, like, I don't want to do, like, I'm not trying to do, like, a deep dive into the great discussions of it. I mean, I love, I love Kickback, but, like, I love a good squib. And the squibs in this are so fucking good. Well, the funny thing about this movie is that it's, from, a, from that standpoint, it's excellent. Like, it, it just achieves a kind of... It's technically fantastic. I mean, this... Yeah, but, but to the point... Uh, win? Uh, or it got nominated for sure for editing. Yeah, yeah it got nominated, but did not win. Just for, and visual effects. If, if there's and sound if there's joy in watching somebody's knees get blown out, if there's joys in watching like uh, Bruce Willis just annihilate a group of people through a door, what did it lose editing to? Um, you know, in a big, huge, steaming, bloody mess. <laughs> Lost like, editing to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. That's a that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty good one to lose. Yeah. Who Framed Roger Rabbit is an achievement. Yeah. This is just a fun movie. It also lost 
visual effects to frame Roger Rabbit. Once again, an achievement. It lost sound to Bird, which I'm not familiar with. Sound editing to frame Roger Rabbit would be my one pushback. I'd be like, mm, Die Hard, I think. Maybe it's because of that repeating Tony getting his neck broken and like, getting punched sound. I feel like the fact that Who Framed Roger Rabbit won a few Oscars at least. Good. At least, yeah. This, I mean, it should get more, but whatever. Um, yeah, it balances that kind of joy of just, like, of action, whatever action filmmaking was or could be with... This is a really good Oscar year. Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is the Kevin is Klein... Rain Man? Year. Uh, this yeah, is the year. Yeah, back. it's the Rain Man year. It's Kevin Klein winning for a fish called Wanda. Oh man, so many good movies here. What is what's an accident? What's an accidental tourist? Oh, Gina <laughs> Davis. Gina <laughs> Davis year, huh? Never heard okay. of it. Good, good supporting <laughs> actor and actresses. Whatever. Uh, it's just you balance that joy with, like, which is which is. Um, established with like a tech, technical excellence with just hilarious nonsensical everything and and it's and all that stuff kind of works to make it like a compelling watch and when I say nonsensical everything I mean like the fact that the movie kind of stops doing anything for like 20 minutes it's like a five, mm-hmm. it's like a it's like a Shakespeare, Shakespeare. There's five acts to this movie. The fourth act is nothing. It's is nothing. Uh, it's just a bunch of me. It's, it's establishing Al Pal's backstory <laughs> so that Al Pal can kill Carl. Right. But I love that an action. That's movie, all that is. I love that an action movie wastes twenty minutes of its runtime to establish the cop who did one thing and has just been standing. <laughs> With a walkie-talkie, <laughs> the whole time yelling at Paul Gleason, it's it wastes twenty minutes of its runtime just doing this oh, one thing. A whole come on, act is gone. Just one, of, one thing. One of the greatest line reads ever. I shot a kid. A I toy gun. A, no, but it looked real enough. So bad watching it now, and you're just like, I shot a kid. It was dark. You are not was, saying that right. I John, shot a kid. And John McLean's just like, well, you know, it happens. You're a cop. Things happen. JP, you are vaguely an adult when this movie comes out. I was just going to say, you know, made this movie so... You're a junior in high school, right? Yeah, I saw it in the (laughs) theater. Oh, you lucky motherfucker. Oh, and so... I was one year, two years (laughs) old when this came out. Growing up in the 80s, it was just dominated by the, like, Stallone getting all jacked up. Mm Mm-hmm. And Schwarzenegger's movies all jacked up, and obviously Terminator was fantastic, but you had to, like, like you said, Commando and and all this other shit. And then, I mean, I was a Moonlighting fan. I loved it. Me and my friends all love Moonlighting, and Bruce Willis is just like this wise ass. Yeah, yeah. Was Sybil Shepard like 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 was she like hot stuff? Gorgeous. Yeah, she and she was. Oh, I don't know if that's history saying this or if that's... No, I think it's thing. true. I, I was just listening to a podcast about... And they were mentioning Sybil Shepherd and something. And um, But she was, was nothing between Last Picture Show and Moonlighting. Right, exactly. And, oh, and they were talking about Taxi Driver. She was in Taxi Driver. Oh, yeah, yeah. But uh, he was kind of an everyman, and, uh, but a wise-ass. And so 
he wasn't I mean he was greased up a little bit in Die Hard but he wasn't he wasn't Jack Beyond Belief and, and that's what made this movie so successful it was just it was all him and, and uh, Alan Rickman was I mean nobody knew about Alan Rickman before that right it's a phenomenal movie well, I mean, my favorite Alan Rickman thing about this movie is when he's pretending to not be Alan Rickman, but he is yeah, still yeah, just, he's trying, he's just like, to, trying to speak American. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, they want you to believe that John McClane thinks for a second that he's another guy. And you're just like, this yeah. is going terrible. Why does he just shoot him? Just shoot him. He clearly knows that it's him. Why does he just shoot him in the face? Well, I think the thing that's funny is I think... Um, like Steve, like that wasn't originally in the script. That entire scene. Oh, really? And they just liked his accent so much. They're like, let's just throw it in. <laughs> and this feels like a movie where it's just like that seems cool. Fucking yeah. throw it in. But that's uh, the weird thing about Bruce Willis in this movie is that he's the fucking coolest guy ever. Exactly. I mean, the fact that like Quentin Tarantino made him do, like, I love. Oh my, you know, talking about Pulp Fiction. Go back to Pulp Fiction. After he slashes Zed with the. With a sword. The face he makes is a face that he makes. It's a gesture that he makes with a different tool in his hand in Die Hard. Can I, he makes him do that. Can I make a weird pushback? Yeah. When I was a kid and still to this day, I think John McClane's fine. I think Hans Gruber is the coolest thing ever. Uh, I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just like, when I watch this, I'm just like, I if there's a less magnetic lead... In the Bruce Willis part, mm. I don't watch this movie anymore. Yeah, because Alan Rickman just eats. Yeah, no, no, it's no, it's it's a it's a balancing force. Like you have a magnetic lead, you have a magnetic villain, yep. and you have a magnetic secondary character, and you have a really it's understated a lot of times that people talk about this. Like fucking Bonnie Bedella or B- the Bonnie, Bonnie Bedelia. Bedelia fucking tears it up as like the woman in distress sort of thing. Like just it never makes her like. Lose that sort of power, what? like that, like like that's what kind of ruins Die Hard three for me, is the fact that like after the first two movies where their relationships so well stated and she cries at the end of two saying why does this keep happening to us that they're kind of like breaking <laughs> up by three I'm like that's what actually ruins three for me is like I want I think they tried to get her back she just didn't want to do it mm-hmm. but like just have her be somewhere else like literally my love for this series is ruined is ruins three because I'm so invested in like what they've done. Well, I think one of the interesting things about Bonnie Bedelia in this movie is that at the end of the, by the end of the movie, her shirt is wide open and she's got a push up bra on and her like breasts are like super pushed together. Oh, I never, I never even noticed a very, that. But a very eighties. Cause I kept waiting for the eighties obligatory, um, sexualization to come in because I mean, it in, happens in the beginning, but, but not really. I mean, girls, that woman's tits are full out when they're having sure, sex. Sure, sure, sure. But, like, because it's in the throes of this terrorist takeover of the office, it's not, like, super sexualized. In the, it's, oh. They don't stand and, like, kind of, like, linger over it and, like, over-sexualize it. It's just kind of well, I never, I never see any sexualization of Holly. But that's the ever. Whole, so it's, it's very brief. And I was like, this movie knows where it's, it's, it's winning. And this movie is winning in its relationship between Hans Gruber's coolness and John McClane's coolness. That's where the movie is. The movie is not in any of the exploitative things that 1980s action movies 
were historically prone to do. You know what I mean? And even later action movies were more prone to do. This movie was like, we got two things that are awesome. We actually three things. We have I mean look at look at how much like um what 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 would it be? Three years later, true lies? Three or five Fuck years? Yeah, man. Oh five true years lies ninety one or ninety two. It's in between that period. But, of time. but true lies is trying to ilk that so much, that kind of like family man thing. But then just but James the Cameron. Jamie Lee, but it's not the Jamie Lee Curtis scene. Yeah, and James Cameron sucks as a director. Go fuck yourself, James Cameron. Yes. I said it. Um, that he doesn't sure. know how to make it work because he tries to give like Jamie Lee Curtis agency, but he just he can't do it because he doesn't know how to write women. His ex-wife, who's a better director than him, can go fuck yourself, James Cameron. I want to have a conversation about that after the when we're waiting to get sandwiches. I want to talk about best director Oscars since Catherine Bigelow, but that's a different thing. Um, yeah, but like I think True Lies is like a response. It's like James Cameron going like, I want to, I can do this. But I this. think True Lies is because James Cameron thought he could like be the king of action direction after true, Aliens. I think True Lies is indicative of a, a, a fallacy of American film culture. Was that which is that an action? And I like True Lies to be. To I be love fair. True Lies. Yeah, which is that an action movie has to have X, Y, and Z things, and one of those things has to have sexy women in it. Doing sexy things, having half of their clothes on. W, of course, is Bill Paxton, which is almost always true. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 I love that. Bill Paxton That's in great. Die Hard. Oh my god! Oh shit! Bill Paxton as the Ellis character. No. Oh, oh. that would be great. No, I, but I love heartbroken in this. No, but if Bill Paxton was the True Lies version of that guy, you know what? Actually, I love William Atherton in this movie, and I love him in the sequel. But I think Bill Paxton has uh, William Atherton as has Thornburg would have been would have been like. I mean, I hate saying this because William Atherton's so good, but Bill Paxton in that role slightly better. William Atherton should sue the eighties because he, in my mind, is obviously a piece of shit human being. From just from this and Ghostbusters, he's obviously garbage. Obviously. Yeah, he's obviously. You look at, you look at like, Paul Gleason. Paul Gleason's presented in the same way, but Paul Gleason's just like a lovable sort of idiot because of this movie. Right. And you're like, oh, I hope that's not another. <laughs> we need some more FBI I mean, in guys. My like, mind, it's oh, Hitler, Paul Gleason. It's Hitler, Donald Trump, William Atherton, even higher than Jagger Hoover. Can I? Right. Can I give you a little tidbit? Yes, JV. William oh. Atherton was born in Orange, Connecticut. What? Oh my God! Really? That actually makes a lot of sense. <laughs> is, is he also a real piece of shit? Uh, Wikipedia says, "quote unquote," and in fact, he was a real piece of shit. <laughs> oh man! Oh, but I think the, the the I think the thing that so just to you know finish the statement that I started ten minutes ago. James Cameron kind of misrepresented what he what the culture has believed those '80s action movies to be. Die Hard, I think, is the pinnacle of '80s action movies, which is evidenced by the fact that my wife stayed up for an extra two and a half hours to watch this movie that she had literally no interest in because she was just compelled by do the nonsensical of, action stuff happening. Do any of John McTiernan's three major films from the '80s have? Real heavy sexualization? Like, I don't like Commando, so I don't really know that one. Predator Predator doesn't. definitely doesn't. No. Commando might have, because Stallone liked that shit. You know what the issue no, it's is Stallone. Predator... That's, that's, uh, that's Schwarzenegger. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Alyssa that's, uh, uh, Milano's the lead in that. What's the like, co- she... I don't know what the You're Stallone You're thinking of Cobra? Movie. 
Cobra is the one I'm thinking of. That's not John Tyrion. No, 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 I'm thinking of um, it. I mean, the, by Die Hard 3, you have sexualization. Because, like, the yeah, um, Simon... Jeremy Irons and whatever that woman's name is. Yeah. <laughs> but, Come on, man. But I don't know. That's, like, just, still, like, that's... I mean, like, I, she's not sexualized, but, like... Her just pure like I don't know her character's name, um, but Simon Simon Gruber's like girlfriend, um, just has such control that like when she like slinks behind that guy and slashes him up and slashes his throat, like when I was like twelve, I was like that's I like that. Yeah, and I was happy for the the I was happy for the reversal of fortune guy that he got to rip open a woman's shirt. Um, but but like but no but still what shows control in that film is and like I'm not a diehard three guy is the fact that like that's an even relationship both of them are 100 percent in control you know what's funny is that it's just John McTiernan's a really good director I was just listening then he to, made basic I was listening to this or no I was listening to I, this because she doesn't mention it in the WTF interview the Salma Hayek interview but she does mention it in the Dak Shepard armchair expert which I is a podcast that I hate and I was just reading about it. And she was talking about how, like, the sex scene in Desperado. And how she was just, like, horrified to do this. But that Robert Rodriguez and Antonio Banderas were, like, great with her. She just didn't want to do this sex scene. And I was thinking about that. And I was like, well, Desperado, I guess, kind of doesn't need a sex scene. And I think... And I'm drawing, like, a very loose comparison here. in the fact that, like, when the sex scene happens in Desperado, I'm not... I haven't ever said for one second, you know what this movie needs is a sex scene. I'm just like, this movie is just fucking cool. Like, let's just get, let's just have more of whatever's happening here happen. And I think maybe, I think something that John McTiernan maybe should get credit for is the fact that he was just like, well, sure, that's what everybody's doing, but I'm not going to do that. Because my the relationship here is the thing, and the same thing happens in Die Hard Three, where like the cool thing to happen is the fact that Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson are arguing over like how to fill up Poland Spring jugs. Five and three, five and three, yeah, absolutely. That's cool. The Chester A. Arthur conversation is cool. There's the sex part of it is just kind of removed. No, no, the sex part of it though. What's interesting about that, thinking about this, and this is a really weird way to take a Die Hard conversation. We've definitely spent ten minutes talking about Die Hard and sex. Um, is the fact that, like, when are... When it's, so Simon Gruber's always, always one step ahead of McLean. But he's always one step ahead. And the second that he's not a step ahead is when he's allowed himself to be vulnerable. He's mm-hmm. having relations with his... The girlfriend. Oh, man, I feel shit. I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up while I'm talking about this. But he's having relations like with her. Um, that's like the one part, and that's when like Simon Gruber's like entire shield is let down, and he's ultimately defeated. Uh, it is. Oh man, she's so good in that movie too. Fuck. Is it M- Misha Hosserman? As Misha, Misha, right? Misha, I think I think is her. I don't think she they ever ever say anybody's name. Yeah, but but that's the one time, and it's just like I don't know. Maybe John McTiernan has a real solid control of sex and action movies. But you think he knows where the bread is buttered? 
Which is not like in the sex department. It's in like the cool action scene department. But it's maybe in the it's charismatic like... actor department. But does, this shit doesn't even matter. I, was, I really only brought it up because I think you kind of talked about... But it, it represents a real technical control of, of the film. Which is like what Die Hard is. Die Hard is so insanely great because it has such insane contextual and, and, and technical control of the and, media. It knows what it's doing. Yeah. Which I think is something that like we talked about... Why did we talk about... Did we talk about Lethal Weapon? Was Lethal Weapon on your mm-hmm. list? We talked about Lethal Weapon... Lethal Weapon doesn't know what it's doing. Lethal Weapon is fucking nuts. Yeah. This movie is, you know, there's rocket launchers. They're, they show this missile thing, a bunch of this box that says missile on it a bunch of times. And you're just like, what the, this, what's going to happen with this missile? It's just a rocket launcher that they use to shoot a LAPD tank, tank that just takes 10 minutes to get to the building, even though... It, they established it as being like right next to the building. Um, how far are these cop cars away from from this building? Um, you know, it does all that other stuff, but he can afford to be nonsensical with the violence because the foundation of this movie is is Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman's performance. Yeah, right. And so everything else comes second to those two things. Yeah, and and I think. What's great about this, and I always love looking at this, because this is like one of the first inside film things I ever saw, was I remember when Speed came out. Yeah. I don't even know where you're going with this, but I, re- I also remember when Speed came out. I remember Speed out. came out, and it said, in the credits, it said, directed by Jan DeBont. And I'm like... I know! I, was, yeah, I looked yeah, at that, yeah. and I was like... I remember as a kid, I was like, I've seen that name before. Really? He did the... I didn't He's know the, he did the cinematography. Yeah. No, this I've movie. known this forever, because it... This move, I would say, Die Hard's one of those big films that leads me to caring about movies. Where I was like, because I remember my dad going, like, like I remember going, like, where do I know that person from? And like, a couple weeks later, he's like, oh, he's the he worked on Die Hard, and like, Die Hard just bleeds through the next like ten years of action film. Well, it's weird because I don't, I don't really. Also, Jan DeBont loves decapitations, man. Yeah. I don't he decapitates really... Dennis Hopper. He decapitates Owen Wilson in The Haunting. I have this weird thing that Jan DeBont loves decapitating the shit up. He, he did a he did Twister. He decapitates yeah. the um the guy that's driving with uh Carrie Elways. Well, it's, it's weird. I just brought up Lethal Weapon, and I don't, I don't necessarily mean to bring up Lethal Weapon. It's interesting how muddy a lot of the '80s action movies are, like in their visual presentation, compared to Die Hard. Which is very clean, which is very like I mean, except when they're having a gunfight and they blow out the same glass window like a hundred times. Oh, there's I so many like, technical errors in Die Hard. It's fine. I love when he's like, "Shoot the glass!" and you're just like, "Yeah, you already shot all the glass. What glass are you sh- now <laughs> shooting that you hadn't already previously sh- previously shot?" Excuse me, it's the glass. They've shot some glass, but not the, the glass. glass, right? Um, but again, I'll just I'll say it again, and I know my wife hasn't listened to this podcast because she has better things to do with her time. Eleven o'clock at night, I was like, I'm going to watch Die Hard. Started watching it, stayed up till one fifteen, and then hated herself this morning for staying up to watch Die Hard. But she just couldn't. She just wouldn't. It was her first sleep. time, right? She was her first time seeing it. She would not what was, go to what bed. What was her response afterwards? She, she. 
it's not her jam. Like, it's not her type of movie. Yeah. But she was compelled by it. Sure. And she and she felt, I think, I think what a lot of people... Like, we all grew up with Bruce Willis in our lives in various contexts. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think the new Bruce Willis, the the Republican... He died. He died years ago. <laughs> the non-mask-wearing... He did looper Bruce and just evaporated into the air. Um... The guy who makes all the same movies that Nick Cage makes, but without the kind of uh, dedication cred that Nick Cage gets for making these movies. Um, she doesn't know any of that stuff. She just knows that she grew up with Bruce Willis, and Bruce Willis is is charisma, like, on fucking screen. Like, I mean, that's just what he is. He's a movie star. And, and I assume also... Like Alan Rickman has the Harry <laughs> Potter connection. Right. She was stuff. like, Oh, is that Snape? And she's yeah. like, Oh, he looks so young. And then we're just and then we have to have the unfortunate conversation of talking about pausing it for a second while she like talks about how sad it is that he's dead. Yeah. And like he's so good and so versatile and he does this one I mean, he's so specifically Alan Rickman because she's a love actually person too, that like She's Has, just, meet meet Robin Hood, um, Prince of Thieves uh, person. Love Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Love it too. Love we've, it. Talk, we've talked really? about this on the episode. Love before. it. Haven't seen. You've never seen Whoa. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. No, well, I now we know where we're coming back for. We have we have to do a separate like. We'll just take First one of reaction. these awkward pauses. The costume at, like, yeah, yeah. After before we do our number five episode. I mean, that's a perfect synergy between. Uh, our sevens. Point, yeah, at some point we should. Yeah, we should not do number six, and we'll all come back next week and do a Robin Hood Prince of Thieves episode. Because I think Robin Hood is a fucking Brian Brian. Adams that's show. that's also. It's a ninety-one movie. Robin Hood Prince of Thieves wins an Oscar. Right? Listen, Sting, Brian Adams, Brian and Rob Adams. Stewart. Exactly. That's, that's why. Awesome. That's why I stayed that away. That song is awesome. I stayed the fuck oh, away. That. No. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves was nominated in the same year of JFK. Rickman got nominated for a BAFTA for Robin Hood. And more well more, deserved. Julia Ormond, Morgan Freeman, Alan Rickman, Mar- Kevin Costner. Julia Ormond. She's Guinevere. No, Mary Elizabeth Mas- uh, Mastronato is Julia Ormond in something, but I'm, not in. Are you sure? Oh, Rob- hundred. I'm looking at it right now. It's it's yeah. It's Mary Elizabeth uh, Master in the tunnel. Oh really? Yeah, Julie Armand might be in the other. First, is she in First Night? May I think with maybe. Richard Gere. Look it up. I'm getting our producer to look it up right now, guys. I'm more of a Rob Roy guy. <laughs> Even though it's years later. She's in the First Night. Ah, I'm confusing First Night with Robin and Prince of Thieves. But. You know, mixing up Richard Gere and Kevin Costner is a is a expected. Yeah, I love that Richard Gere thought he was going to change that with arbit- arbitrage. Was it? I don't know. It doesn't matter. He made a couple of dr- like dramas recently that he th- I think he thought he was going to get oh! Oscars for. One was the homeless. That's guy not movie, recent. And then one was arbitrage. Yeah. You said recent. Yeah, Jesus. In the last like seven years. Is it? Eight years. Yeah. Yo, I was still living with my parents. That was eight years ago, man. Nine years arbitrage? ago. Arbitrage? Arbitrage. Arbitrage, yeah. It's 2012. Mm. That's fair. That's a good reason. movie, though. I like that movie. Anything if else? you Die like... Mar- JP, Die Hard? Last thoughts. Before I close the book on Die Hard. Because Tom doesn't have it on his list. 
like a crazy person. I love the fact that no. this movie, this episode, this movie, this episode has lasted at least forty minutes longer than I thought. <laughs> last. Well, we started like we had a fifty-minute conversation on Die Hard that I did not expect to happen because you got me on the sex and John McTiernan films <laughs> train. But it's true. I think I, mean, I think it's significant the fact that he was just like. Well, one, you he, maybe had the revelation of the watch. Yeah. And two. But I think it's true. He decided he... Uh, maybe he didn't decide anything. But, like, there's all these... Obvious Even if he stumbled into it. There's all these obvious opportunities where he could put something into here that would be representative of the time that these types of movies were yeah, being made. It seems... And he just very specifically didn't do it. It seems like he tries to, like, rush through, like, I need tits in this movie. Here they are. Okay, moving on to my well, fucking yeah. awesome movie. So that's the thing. I, I showed Ethan Predator... Yeah. He made, McTiernan made Predator. Yeah. So for no reason whatsoever, that movie has Shane Black walking into like three scenes and, and saying a pussy joke. Mm. That's totally unnecessary. And yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm watching it with my son and I'm just like, well, oh, oh shit. That's, yeah. that's because Shane Black probably demanded those scenes we <laughs> put in. Well, the thing, so like the. Cool- oh, shit. What? I forgot John McTiernan has a movie coming out. What is it? Uh, it's a sci-fi action movie. It's his first movie since Basic. Who's in it? Uh, Uma Thurman. Mm-hmm. It's weird. So she it's a sci-fi movie. Lars von Trier and... That's what she does. John McTiernan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. This is a good episode. <laughs> no. <laughs> JP can say it, because he's, he's a listener. <laughs> If you want to say it, you can say it. No, on. this is a, if there was wings in front of us, this would be a perfect bar conversation. God, That's fair. Yeah, you guys talked about Side Street the other like, I know, um, it was sad. sad. Oh, God. I drove. Remember how we started hitting on Side Street? And, like, we don't want to go there. Yeah, now we would die to Oh, go my there. God, I would kill somebody to go there and eat and, some popcorn. But that's the thing, we could do it. But I'm just, we're just, I'm just not that kind of guy. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I don't, fucking I don't want to do that, yeah. If you want to not be a monster, you can tweet us at Film Pivotal. Or you can go to Pivotal Film, uh, send us a message at PivotalFilmPodcast.gmail.com or you can go to PivotalFilm.com, which is recently updated. You did it. Um, and see a list of uh, the, I, I have to put our top tens from 2020 up there. Um, because WordPress changed everything, so now I can't just upload a PDF file. I have to put a block or something. I don't know. WordPress fucking sucks. Um, I didn't know WordPress is a thing in this decade. Yeah, everyone uses <laughs> WordPress, but they cha- they just changed their operating system. It blows. I thought like like Squarespace just took it over and was like, we're doing WordPress now. No, no, it's weird. I, I, I don't want to talk about it, but it's it's WordPress has become weird, and I wish I didn't do. <laughs> But it's there now, so it is. Or you can have, um, see how to subscribe to us or, uh, you know, see... Uh, oh, shit. One fun fact I forgot. Fun fact. So while doing the JFK part of this research of this episode, do you remember this little fun fact from the 2016 election where <laughs> Donald Trump accused Ted Cruz's dad 
of being a part. Yes, I remember that. Yep. I completely yep. forgot about this. Well, I also remember Donald Trump actively saying he was going to release all the JFK stuff. And, people and then, like, re- yeah, withheld, never like, did. half of it. But that's, that's the thing. A bunch of Bernie cons- a Bernie bro conspiracy theorists were just like, see, he's going to do it. He's going to release it. It's like almost like it's that the one election thing that they cared about. The one issue was getting the JFK stuff. Does Trump know who killed JFK now? I mean, because I feel like if he knew, he would have told somebody. Or slash everybody. I thought they pushed out all this stuff for another... Uh, until this years. October. I think No, they, it's until this October. Well, and I think That's it? when, when yeah. the... What is it? The Marines or whoever was just like, oh yeah, we put off announcing like women being promoted within the military because Trump was going to be mad at it. That I'm assuming someone had the opportunity to tell him something about whatever. And we're just like... I'm not doing this. Like, so I, I'm assuming Trump knows way less about American, like, like the in, interior of American. I mean, he like, might have heard it. Yeah. He might have heard it, and it probably just went whoop right out his ear. Maybe he's like, "That's not about me." It's out. Yeah. Right. right. Um, big big week next week, everybody. The the. Uh, one-two punch of Oscar contenders. Well, this I mean, this is this is the one. I mean, Nomadland is fixed as best director and best picture. Actress. It's no, no, best, no, best actress, not, not anymore. Best, best actress, actress is uh, Carrie Mulligan. Uh, Mulligan, Viola Davis, you know, kind of duking it out there. Yeah. But Carrie Mulligan seems to pull that. Not Viola Davis. No, Carrie Mulligan, Francis McDormand seems. No, to be Francis McDormand's three. No, it's. I, I'm seeing Variety say, putting McDormand at two. So it's a one, two, three punch. How about that? It's weird that Ma Rainey's Black Bottom has kind of fallen off the... Except for Act Chadwick Boseman is, yeah. is winning, but whatever. Um, this is it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to go in with no expectations. You what, know what I mean? To no, I, to no I don't even know what No Medlands are really about. I just... Uh, poor woman... When are the nominations around. being announced? I, I know, know it's March, delayed, but March, March, yeah. Yeah. late really? March. Yeah. Which I think benefits something like Judas and the Black Messiah, which has gotten a lot of press recently mm. and a lot of really good press to the point where that Daniel Kaluuya is really, looks like he might take this from Leslie Odom Jr. in terms of like what the predictions are. are, well, are I, think, I think the nominations don't matter anymore. What matters now is the fact that it looks like Jared Leto won't be nominated. <laughs> Fingers crossed, man. But Paul, Paul Rocky's got to get nominated. But he's, he's he jumped up because of Critch Choice. So oh good. I mean that's finger again. All the finger. I've got multiple fingers crossed. I'm like a crab man now. Look at this. Look at look at how many fingers are crossed that Jared Leto doesn't. You're get You're talking to Kristen Wiig as we speak. <laughs> that Jared Leto does not get nominated for an Oscar. Whew. For the, the little... And if he does... For that? Did you just, watch the little things? No. And if he does, oh, just remember terrible. that February 17th, 2021, episode 7 was a lucky day in history for the people of Pivotal Film. And if you agree, watch a movie, drink, crack open a beer, drink whatever beer don't you smoke cigars or cigarettes, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>